get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman. Happy Friday. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And uh, we are headed towards the weekend. Big day here on Carriker and Smallman. How are you doing? Randy, I'm doing great. It's a Friday. We're feeling good. And you're right. We have a huge show on deck. Yeah, we've got a lot of people coming your way. As a matter of fact, this hour, the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to former St. Louis Rams Super Bowl <laughs> head coach Dick Vermeil. Also, Joey Vitale in the 8 o'clock hour, Mike Schilt in the 9 o'clock hour, Matt Holiday. We've got a lot coming your way. That are That's some star power right there. It is. Every hour. Did you enjoy your Cardinal Day off yesterday? I did, but it did feel weird to not have to schedule your day around a game and not settle in and watch the Cardinals. Well, buckle up, because in the next 32 <laughs> days, you get 24 days, you have 32 games. 24 days, 32 games. I hope they rested yesterday, Randy. Yeah, and by the way, there was some great sports competition last night on TV. The Flyers winning in double overtime, forcing a game seven against the Islanders. Go Moose, Brian Elliott. He doesn't get to play, but he's on the team at least. Go Moose. Yeah. And Toronto wins their first game against Boston. They win game three. A three-point buzzer beater with a half a second left. And Boston had that game in hand, and Toronto stole it from them. Yikes. Yeah, obviously, we, most people want, he, around here would want Jason Tatum yeah, to do. succeed. So we need Boston to come back firing. Yeah, and I actually didn't stay up uh, late enough for the other games, I gotta <laughs> confess. But uh, I do know that... Uh, there was even more great competition. The Clippers hammered the Nuggets. Go Clips! 120-97. to 97. You know why we're going Clips, right? Because we don't want to cheer for the Lakers? Egg. Well, we also don't want to cheer for the Nuggets. Oh, the Nuggets, of course, yes. Yeah, so Clips 120-97. to 97. And last night, the late game in the NHL saw the Canucks beat the Golden Knights 4-0. And that series is tied 3-3. So maybe the Blues loss in six games to the Canucks wasn't as bad as we thought it was when it happened. They're a dangerous team. They are. They, they're young. They're fast. We obviously know. We, we saw them firsthand here in St. Louis. But I still think that the Blues, given everything we saw in totality from their season and what we saw from them in the bubble, they were not playing their game. I still believe, despite what we saw out of Vancouver, and that's no disrespect to a good young team, that the Blues beat themselves. Jacob Markstrom also was huge in that series. He was. Last night, Thatcher Demko got the start for the Canucks, had 48 saves Ooh. in the shutout against Vegas. The Blues obviously are into their offseason as we know and they've already traded a goalie, cleared a little salary cap space with Jake Allen on his way to Montreal and he joined the fast lane yesterday and Jake talked about how excited he is to work with Carey Price with the Canadians. You know I've never met Carey personally so it's going to be a fresh start for sure, a clean slate and I've always really enjoyed you know my partners in St. Louis and um, I've been very fortunate to have good people along with good goalies, and I think that's important to be, you know, a good person first. And then I've heard nothing but good things with Kerry, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get along great, and just like me and Benner did. So, uh, no, definitely looking forward to learning from him. You know, he's been the best goalie in the in the league for a long time, and uh, he has a reputation for a reason. And 
you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be cool to have a new start. You know, it's, uh, I haven't had that in a long time. So uh, it's definitely a little bit anxious and looking forward to getting going whenever, uh, whenever the season starts. Michelle, a fun little aside here. The first big trade that Doug Armstrong made with the Blues was to send Lars Eller to Montreal for Yaroslav Halak. Halak had just had a great playoff for Montreal. (laughs) And as legend has it, the Canadians were really torn. They could have either traded Price or Halak to the Blues, and they wound up keeping Price and trading Yarrow here. But Jake Allen could have played with Carey Price a lot earlier. Apparently, it was like a 51-49 decision on the part of the Canadians to move Halak here rather than Price. And to think that they could have moved on from the guy who ends up being first place in their franchise and career wins. Yeah, right. And one of the best goalies, as Jake Allen said, one of the best in the league. And Jake won't have any trouble. Jake is able to adapt to any situation, isn't he? He's great in any situation. And I know people say that the pressure of Montreal is intense because there's a ton of media and the fan pressure is great. But as a backup goalie, if he just does what he did here, he'll be fine. And do you really think the pressure could possibly be higher for him than it was here at times? Uh, A hockey and sports rabid town that hadn't captured their first cup and had been right there for many years. I can't imagine feeling more pressure than that. No, it's hard to imagine that there would. The only difference is rather than 10 people surrounding you in the media scrum, there will be 50. (laughs) Well, I mean, he's he's dealt with tough media here before. And while the volume might be bigger, I don't think the pressure is any bigger. What's the difference between 10 or 50 people on a Zoom call? Exactly. Life has changed, so he'll be all right. Plus, as we saw here in St. Louis, he is adaptable. He's an unbelievable teammate. If you're Carey Price, you're probably looking at somebody like Jake Allen and thinking, I couldn't ask for a better guy to come in and be behind me. Michelle mentioned the the tough times here, the pressure that Jake Allen faced. And even with those low points and the the peaks that he was able to, and by the way, we've got peak and pit coming up, for all the peaks and pits that uh, Jake Allen experienced here in St. Louis, the memories are going to be good. It's going to have a piece of me forever. It really will. I spent a lot, a large portion of my, you know, adult life in St. Louis as a blue and um, raised a family there, got to play for the blues for, you know, so many games, almost 300 games. And, um, you know, but definitely the teammates going to miss, you know, having so many uh, relationships with guys like Steiner and, and Schwartzy and, you know, it's in it, the Petro and the list goes on and on and on. And the guys that you've really connected with, really bonded with, and you'll be friends for life. You know, we fortunate enough, we won a Stanley cup that makes it even tighter together. And uh, it, it won't be the end of me seeing those guys. No question. It's how close we all are. And uh, definitely going to miss them. There's a, there's no question about that. He was part of that core that included Bacchus and Petrangelo and Bo Meester. I wonder how long it'll be before that core doesn't exist and we move on to the next nucleus of the Blues. Maybe next year. Yeah, the potential's there with all the names that you listed, which is crazy to think about, isn't it? It is, because that was 2016. Wow. That that group was with with Brian Elliott and Oshie and... That was the group that was supposed to bring a cup to St. Louis. Yeah, that's right. Wow. But, you know, and to his point, to Jake's point, St. Louis will always have a piece of him. You Mm -hmm. can't go on the ride that you did last season and be a part of an organization like the Blues for as long as he was and not always feel connected to them in some way. We'll always feel connected to Jake Allen. Yeah. 
Michelle, the Cardinals are in Chicago opening a five-game series tonight. They should not play Friday night games at Wrigley. Every Friday game should be a day game. Every Saturday game should be a day game. And then unless ESPN takes Sunday, Sundays should be day games as well at Wrigley Field. I hate the idea of a Friday night game at Wrigley Field. My sentiments for Wrigley are completely different now because it's so commercialized. When you go down there, it feels like any other corporate stadium anymore with the Jumbotron and everything that they've done down there. It doesn't feel like the old Wrigley Field to me, so I'm fine with with night baseball, with the lights, whatever you got going on. Yeah, I, I realize that you don't have cement falling from the ceiling anymore, but you still, it, it's still a party atmosphere that's better experienced during the day, especially the rooftops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great call. But just being able to look out and see what you can through the Jumbotron, I still have that thought process. And maybe this is from as a youngster coming home and watching the games on WGN and thinking that every every day game should be a day game at Wrigley. I know that'll never happen again, but just give us Fridays, okay? It's a nostalgia thing for you. It totally is. Because the last few times I've gone to Wrigley, I've been kind of bummed out. It's still a great environment. Wrigleyville is still awesome. It's still one of the hallowed places in sports. But it's totally different when you go to Fenway and you feel transported in time. You used to feel that way at Wrigley. Now you're like, oh, look at that monstrosity of a jumbotron right there. All right. Yeah, the... uh the stench of urine used to be kind of charming at Wrigley. <laughs> oh, no, Randy, that's called old style. That's their beer. Oh, okay. I got it. <laughs> so tonight you're going to have Adam Wainwright on the hill. That's, uh, that's a Cardinal win, right? That's win day for the Cardinals, right? You would think so. And Adam Wainwright gets the ball, becomes a, a must-see TV event here in St. Louis. You just feel like he's going to go out there and give you an electric performance. Yeah, and... You Darvish, by the way, who was the pitcher of the month for July. There's only going to be two pitchers of the month in the National League and the American League this year. But when you have that sort of uh, pitching pairing, that's must-see TV, too. That's that's old school. That's fun. I'm sorry. It's Flaherty and Darvish tonight, and then Wayno goes tomorrow in the first game of the doubleheader. So Flaherty and Darvish is just as good. Yes, it is. Absolutely. We have a lot of great baseball on deck this weekend. All right. Give me a hitter for Wrigley Field for the weekend you got Brad Miller, who's hot. You've got Goldie, who's had a great history at Wrigley Field. You've got Wonger. I'm, I feel like saying Miller or Goldie is cheating, and Wong's been really hot. You can't go with an outfielder. <laughs> what about Paulie D? What about Paul DeYoung? It's a good call. He plays and hits really well at Wrigley Field, too. I am going to go with Goldie because he didn't light up Wrigley Field last year in his first year with the Cardinals like he had with it. Arizona, I think that he's just going to tear things up this weekend. What about Dylan Carlson, Randy? Yeah, I got to, before I make that prediction, I got to see him do something. But wouldn't <laughs> that be part of Cardinal lore for him to kind of be finding his way? And then he goes to Wrigley, oh. goes to our, our rival, the hated rivals of, of the St. Louis Cardinals, and he has an absolute killer weekend. That would be one of those scenarios in which the Cubs fans would go, come on. <laughs> That's why maybe we should put that juju out there. That's a good idea. Thanks. Last night, Ian Happ got hit in the face by a pitch. The uh, the x-rays came back negative. But Ian Happ, I know you think about Bryant and Rizzo and all of those guys. Ian Happ is lighting it up for the Cubs so far this year. And... I don't know if he'll be able to go during the course of this five-game series, but, man, he's been fantastic so far for Chicago. Can you imagine getting hit in the face like that? Yeah, that hurts. I would imagine. Yeah, so, but I guess he's going to x-rays came back negative, and he's okay. So. Tough guy.
Yeah, that's a, that's a tough team. And by the way, they are really proud of the fact, typical Cub stuff, uh, they're really proud of the fact that they're obnoxious because that's how they energize themselves. So the team, when you watch them tonight, in addition to their ridiculousness in the bullpen, uh, their whole their whole team is like that now. That's how they energize themselves. Is that new? Them being obnoxious? No, but now they're embracing it. Oh, okay, great, great. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, our peak and pit of the week. Give us yours on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the peak. The best week ever. And the pit. This is the worst. With Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right. This is a fun segment, and we want you to participate. What was your highlight of the week? What was your peak of the week? What was the low light of the week? What was the pit of the week? Let's get things started with Michelle. And we want your text, by the way, 65780. You need to participate in this program as well. You are a participant. You're part of the show. So, Michelle, what was your peak and pit of the week? Randy, should I start positive or should I start negative? I would say go positive, Pete. Okay, well, let's go positive then, per your suggestion. So yesterday we had Tony LaRussa, the great Tony LaRussa, on Character and Smallman, and it is always a life peak for me to get to talk to Tony LaRussa. He is someone that holds such special memories for me, for my sports world, for Cardinal Baseball. I just think he's so brilliant. I could talk to him forever, and he was so generous with his time yesterday, and it was just a great conversation. But leading into that talk with Tony LaRussa might have been my peak for the week because you brought to my attention <laughs> a song about Tony LaRussa that I had never heard before, and I don't know if I've laughed this hard in a long time. So here's my peak. Cardinal fans, they love Tony LaRussa. Other teams, they know he'll cook your gusa. He wins pennants, it's his business. Soon another flag will be flying in St. Louis with Ozzy and Willie. I say the Redbirds are going to the series. The birds are in first and they're gonna win the pennant. Tony is the guy that is gonna help him win it. <laughs> Yeah, that is a peak. That's, that's great to know. And the Macarena still slaps, Randy. Absolutely slaps. Oh, no doubt. You you and Mike Ryder yesterday were all over it. We still know the dance. Yeah, it was, I was so impressed. It's muscle memory. It just comes back to you. Yeah. So you'll like this, and I might have told you. So randomly last night, I just texted Tony. Uh, thanking him for being on the show. What a flex, Randy. Big time. But then he texts back and we wind up having a major text conversation. Oh my gosh, so your night was better than mine. Go yeah. on. So he uh, he said, uh, it didn't come up on the show, but people wonder why I did the book then. He said, my plan was to do a book when I retired, because, but because ARF had built our facility with a big number borrowed, proceeds from the book helped pay off the debt for ARF. Wow. And ARF is doing great. 30th year, 13 straight years of the highest four-star ratings for Tony's Animal Rescue Foundation. Great organization. And think about that, how dedicated he is to that cause, that even though he wanted to wait until he was done managing to do the book, he said, okay, I'll allow the... And maybe that's why he was so generous with the access, too, because Mm -hmm. he wanted the book to be so successful so they could generate all this revenue to pour into ARF. Yeah. Which so, makes sense. It makes sense now. It does. I wanted to tell you the story, but I really wanted to flex. Yeah. <laughs> Best day ever. Best is that, day ever. Is that your peak, Randy, that you were texting with TLR all night? I think I got a different one. Okay, what about your pit? So, Randy, my pit is this. 
Um, I had gotten an email recently saying, hey, you were at this location for um, a service to your car, and we just wanted to be responsible and let you know that someone who was working that day had tested positive for COVID. And, of course, I freaked out, and I thought, I need to go get a COVID test. So I I told you guys, hey, I got to go get a COVID test. This is something that I need to do. I need to be responsible, too. God forbid I'm asymptomatic and I have it because this person was working... I didn't think I had it because I've been feeling great and I wore a mask, he wore a mask, but whatever. So I go to get it. I get the results emailed to me. (laughs) I go to open the email, Randy, and the words that they typed the results in are bright green. They're bolded and in green. So I'm reading it. I start to panic. It's like, hey, your results are coming back. You're negative. You don't have COVID. And I'm thinking, why would you put it in green? Green means yes. Green means go. Green means go. This is the worst. Yeah, red means stop. If it would have been red, that would have been bad. Green is good. Green means, okay, we've got an open road. We can keep moving forward. I, or, or maybe just put it in bright blue or just bold Yellow. it in black. Any, to me, maybe green. With some balloons green, and fireworks. Yeah, or thumbs up, you're safe. <laughs> but green to me means yes. I, don't, I, don't, I understand what you're saying. Green means you don't have it. It's negative. Yay. But I thought green meant yes. So until I got to the bottom of the email, <laughs> my heart was pounding through my chest, Randy. But you're healthy. That's, I'm healthy. I'm safe. So, day, so it's actually, good. it was a pit that turned into a peak. But yeah. just if you're out there sending those emails, maybe consider a different color in the yeah, font. My peak, Michelle, was somebody else's birthday. It was Wayno's birthday on Sunday. The complete game and the emotion shown by Wayno and Yachty after that victory over Cleveland. And for such a good person, it's it, it's not just the fact that Adam Wainwright is a really good pitcher, but he's a great human being. And I like seeing him succeed at what he wants to succeed at. So it was really fun to watch him on Sunday yeah, come was. away with a complete game. And my, my pit was also Cardinal related. It was allowing that bottom of the ninth walk-off win to the Reds the other night. They have a 3-1 lead in the fifth, and you think, okay, Cardinals get through the fifth with a lead. They're in pretty good shape, but they couldn't get through the fifth with a lead. And then the way that entire ninth inning unfolded, that was a, a bummer for me. So that was the pit. That game was there for them. It was there for the taking, and it would have been so nice for them to get that win heading into the off day, yeah. heading into Chicago, too. Yeah. So we want your text 65780 from the 636. My peak, youth hockey. Apparently some good things happened with youth hockey. And the pit this week, the trade of Jake Allen. Yeah, that was a pit for a lot of people. I have been very surprised, Randy, with the amount of people that I've been hearing from that are not sold on Jordan Bennington and think that moving Jake was the wrong play. I don't think you can do that. I don't think so either, but I. But that's why it surprised yeah. me that more people were saying, hey, I don't, I don't know about, like, a, about 50. Like Army said, you have to believe the body of work for a calendar year in a Stanley Cup championship more than you'd believe those eight games. Now, I understand that Bennington was not spectacular during the regular season, but based on what he did in the second half of that first season, stealing so many games, and he has been pretty darn consistent for you. I think you had to do that. Plus, he's five years younger than Jake. And that makes a difference for the Blues, too. Scotty, how about your peak and pit? Yeah, so we, uh, you guys both just did personal ones for your peak in some of the pits. So I, I have to change mine to a peak uh, for a personal reason. So yesterday, I, uh, I actually had a date night for the first time since I uh, moved back with my girlfriend. I know yep. my pit of the last two weeks have been regarding living at home with my mom and 
the drama that's been unfolding that hasn't there. Been a pit. That's been a peak. Yeah. Spending time with your mom. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Look- so I had to reverse course and move it to a peak today. And I, I had a fantastic time yesterday. You sh- you're going to look back on this time and be grateful that you got to live with your mom. You're going to think right now it, it probably feels a little bit like a bummer. But you're going to look back 10, 15 years from now and be like, that was special that we got to spend that time together. Exactly. And my pit of the week has to be, you know, the Cardinals not acquiring Nolan Arenado on Monday at the jury deadline. Yeah, I don't think that was, uh, I, I didn't think that was even a possibility. So that went by for me without any emotional baggage or excitement whatsoever. It still makes me laugh so hard, though, how fickle we are as, as people and as fans that we spent months talking about will we get to the trade deadline and will mm-hmm. Mo be on the phone with the Rockies? Will it happen? And then that week shows up and we're like, meh. Yeah. Meh. It is what it is. How about this one? My peak, my grandma's devil's lettuce is almost in form. <laughs> so grandma's got, she's growing the ganja? That's amazing. <laughs> Little Acapulco black for grandma. I, I, I don't know a grandma that puffs the magic dragon, though. That's pretty amazing to me. It must be over in Illinois, I'm assuming, right? Uh, that might be. And my pit while listening to hockey with no Joey Vitale. Oh, but don't you worry. We're going to give you your Joey V fix here at 745 on Carriker and Smallman. But yeah, not hearing Curbs and Joey anymore, or at least till the season starts, definitely a pit. Yeah, he's absolutely the best. And this is from the 314. I have to disagree with Michelle. Green always represents good. Now, if the font had been red, which is always negative, I would have been a little freaked out. But the test was negative. So... I'm with the texture. I think green is good. Green means go. (laughs) No. Just move on with your life. You're good. See, I'm thinking... Red means stop. Come back here. We've got some bad news for you. See, I'm just thinking simple yes, no. Yes, no. No. Yes, you have it. No, you don't have it. And Michelle is doing the thumbs up, thumbs down (laughs) maneuver. So I think that would be the best thing is we have emojis. We live in an emoji world. Yes, you're right. So give us either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yeah, it should have just been you open it up and it's a thumbs up emoji or a thumbs down emoji. Hey, thanks for participating. We'll be doing peak and pit throughout the show. Coming up. It was 21 years ago right now that Dick Vermeil and the St. Louis Rams were preparing for their first game with Kurt Warner at quarterback. Trent Green had been injured, and we're going to try to find out what DV was honestly thinking when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN, and we mentioned, Michelle, it was a week ago that was the 21-year anniversary of Trent Green getting hurt for the Rams, suffered that debilitating ACL injury and was knocked out for the season, and that presented an opportunity for Kurt Warner to take over as the Rams quarterback. And one of the things, and somebody actually tweeted me and said, hey, we'd, I'd love to have you get Dick Vermeil on to talk about what it was like between the time that Green got hurt and that first game against the Ravens. And it's not something that we talked about a lot. We, we, we know the iconic, we will rally around Kurt Warner and we will play good football. But I remember during the course of that week wondering whether or not Warner was the guy. And a lot of us in the media were talking about Perhaps the Rams signing Jeff Hostetler as their quarterback. Hostetler had played for Mike White, who was on the Rams staff. They had been together with the Raiders. And the one person that was pretty consistent about, yeah, Kurt being our guy was Dick Vermeil. And he's going to join us here in just a few minutes on 101 ESPN. I don't know that anybody, well, nobody thought that Kurt Warner would become what Kurt Warner became. Maybe <laughs> Kurt did, but. 
nobody thought that he was going to throw 43 touchdowns with 13 interceptions in his first year as a starter. I'm sure Kurt Warner had confidence in himself and in his abilities, but I bet even he was surprised at the way the season unfolded. And one of the things, and we're going to talk to Coach about this, one of the things that happened as a result of The Greatest Show on Turf is that we developed right now what we see in football. And it's not just in the NFL, it's in high school, it's in college too. It has gone from a running game to a passing game, and it had, it was edging towards that when the Rams got started in 99, one of the reasons that I picked them to be good is because Denver had won back-to-back Super Bowls being primarily an offensive team. It used to be defense won championships. The, the old slogan was offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. And not that the Rams or the Broncos had bad defenses, but they were defined by their offenses. And that's now what the sport has become, hasn't it? Absolutely. And that team not only sold tickets, they won championships too. But I wonder how many teams looked at the greatest show on turf and even though they wanted to emulate it, looked at the weapons and the players that they had there and said, hey, we can't acquire so many great players like the Rams have. Because it was talent. It wasn't just scheme and it wasn't just approach. It was talent, too. Talent and speed. And when you look at what happened in the first round this year with C.D. Lamb going to Dallas and Henry Ruggs going to Oakland and... uh, Denver with uh, their first round choice with the the receiver from Alabama, Jerry Judy. All of those guys are similar to Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. All of those guys have the same sort of physical attributes that Isaac and Torrey had. Now, can they play like Isaac and Torrey? Because those guys had an innate, incredible ability to get open. But the, the key for that Rams team was its incredible speed. Randy, when Trent Green went down, I know that you still thought the team was good, but you thought there in your mind at that moment, you thought there's no way the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. No, I, I didn't. I thought that they would run the daylights out of Marshall Falk. I really didn't think that pa- the passing game was going to be a big part of what they were. But obviously, Mike Martz didn't change anything, and I, I don't. I, I think it probably helped them in a weird way that Green got hurt so late because they couldn't change anything. They they couldn't turn over their... And Mike Martz wasn't going to do that anyway. You know mm-hmm. how he is. Yeah. But they didn't have time to go to a different philosophy and become more of a running team. And w- when you look at the talent that they had with the investment that they had, a first-rounder in Holt, all the money that they were paying Isaac Bruce. They had drafted Azakim with a high pick. Uh, they traded for Marshall, who was great catching the ball out of the backfield. There was Ricky Prohl, who had led them in receiving the year before. They had so much talent at the wide receiver position, they weren't in a position to be able to say, okay, well, we can waste this. We They weren't Jeff Fisher. They weren't going to just <laughs> throw the talent to the wayside and say, no, we're just going to run the ball. They just didn't operate that way. Wasn't Marshall second on receptions in that team? Yeah. Which is insane yeah. to and, think and about. The tight ends didn't get a lot of play. And what they did was they had Marshall run a, route, a lot of the routes that ordinarily the tight end would have run. So he was kind of the tight end in that offense in a weird way. And we always hear about how Marshall knew every assignment for every player on the team. He actually not only knew them, but he could perform them. They could split them out wide. He could be a wide receiver. He could play the tight end position because he knew everything that the tight end needed to do. He could be a fullback and a single back. He was a very good blocker. And he knew, obviously, everything that the offensive line had to do in terms of protections because he had to be part of the protection or if they were blocking for him. So the other 10 guys on offense, Marshall not only knew his assignment, but he literally knew, and not just kind of, 
he knew in an expert way, because he's brilliant, what everybody else was supposed to be doing on a play. I never ran across a football player who was better at analyzing a game immediately after it ended than Marshall Falk. He, he knew exactly what happened and why they won or why they lost. I wonder how much time it took him to memorize and to learn every assignment from every position. I think he's a football savant. That it's one of those things where he sees it, he hears it, he retains it. Yeah. And that offense, especially once they got rolling, not as much of that year, but 2000, 2001, 2002, you could go into Mike Martz's offense and he would have binders on shelves, high up on shelves. And you'd say, oh, what year is the thick binders, like the two or three inch thick binders? And you'd say, oh, what year is that playbook from? And he'd say, oh, no, that's like week 14 from last year. (laughs) Every week they had a new playbook that was literally like an inch thick of paper. It was unbelievable. And this was pre-iPad and pre-laying everything out on computer. So everything was drawn out. But they had a different, literally a different playbook every week. And Zach Thomas who played for the Dolphins, Dolphin fan, you know Zach Thomas, yep. their middle linebacker, who was as intuitive and as hardworking as any defensive player in the game. Watched tape religiously, relentlessly. And the Dolphins come in here, and the Rams shred them. The Rams offense just shreds the Dolphins' defense. And after the game, Zach Thomas, now remember, he watches tape going back everything the offense has done for a year. And he said, I didn't see a single play or formation that I had seen before. Not one. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> okay, but take that that comment that you just made and apply that to Spygate and why having those tapes yeah. was probably so valuable for the Patriots because it's not just a variation or a tweak of something they've seen before. It was probably brand new stuff that they had never seen. Well, and the Spygate was primarily about defense. So what they wanted to do was get your defensive signals, but that helped the, the Patriots offense so that you would not expect what was happening from from their offense, and that obviously hurt the Rams' defense, but another part of it is, if you go back to taping the Super Bowl walkthrough, they implemented on that Saturday new plays that nobody had ever seen before. And Marshall has talked about that. There were three or four goal line plays that they'd never run before, but the Patriots knew what was coming. And one other thing about the Rams' offense, we often asked Mike Martz, what it took to be a part of that Rams offense, whether it was a receiver, quarterback, uh, running back. So the first thing we need is intelligence. People need to be really smart to play here. They signed a wide receiver from the Colts named Terrence Wilkins who could just never pick up what they were trying to do on a week-to-week basis. He was with the Colts where they had one offense, and Marvin Harrison lined up on the right side, Reggie Wayne lined up on lined up on the left side. The tight end was always either right there, left or right. It was usually two backs. There wasn't much differentiation week to week, and then Manning would set it up, and he would find the weakness, but Marvin Harrison insisted in lining up on the right side so that there wasn't much motion there. And Terrence Wilkins just could not figure out how everything changed here on a week-to-week basis with all the motion and everything that they would do to confuse a defense. And one of the reasons that the greatest show on turf wound up falling off is because they couldn't find receivers that could do that, that were as smart as Bruce and Holt and Akeem and Prohl. 
you not only have to be smart and be able to retain that information, but you have to be so committed to week after week when you are physically exhausted and you're trying to maintain your body, also taking the time to study and memorize these plays. But I think it stimulated those guys. I think they actually enjoyed it because it was something, it never got boring for them. It was something new every week. It was like, and they knew that the defense hadn't seen it and they knew walking into a game that they were just going to light it up. And think about Mike Martz. And we, we always talk about Mad Mike and the genius be behind Mike Martz. But think about him being able to construct all of those different plays week in and week out. Incredible. He is, I don't know if he's a genius, but he was a football genius. There's no doubt about it. And he would be walking down halls. And there would be reasons that he would not acknowledge you as you were walking down the hall and he was walking down the other way. It's because he was thinking about a football play. <laughs> so I, I get it. So hopefully we'll be able to land Coach Vermeil again soon. Uh, Obviously not available now. I don't know if he's in California or Philly. If he's in Philly, it's 8.30. If he's in California, it's uh, 8.40 now. If he's in California, it's uh, 5.40. So Big difference there. Yeah, yeah, there is. Next up, though, we're going to talk some blues hockey and more with our buddy Joey Vitale, blues analyst, who joins us in the blues booth next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale joining us here at 746 on 101 ESPN because he has a 90-minute Zoom session coming up later this morning. So when you do a 90-minute, and good morning, sir, uh, (laughs) when you do a 90-minute Zoom session, do you turn video on or do you turn video off so you can take a little nap? Well, Randy, Michelle, good morning. This morning is actually video has to be on. I'm actually speaking to a leadership class at CBC. Don't don't ask me why you wanted me to speak to a leadership class at CBC. But uh, it, it's a wonderful class uh, over there off Highway 40 of the new CBC campus. Well, I say new. It, it was new when I went there. I was the first class to graduate. Uh, but they're doing a terrific job out there, and they actually have this junior leadership class where they have some post-retirees, uh, not retirees, but graduates come in and, and talk about their life and what it was like in high school, where they're at now, and, and just kind of hopefully bring a, little, bring a little life to these kids who are kind of going through some tough times, especially given the fact that we're – going back to school in a pandemic kind of area. They're going to school twice a week. Uh, but, no, I'm looking forward. I've done it before in the past, and the kids are uh, they're great on these Zooms. They ask great questions, and it's always a lot of fun. I know there are a lot of the kids listening, so we don't want to give everything away. But you've been around tons of really good leaders in your lifetime, whether it was uh, playing high school hockey or junior or college or in the NHL. What is one common denominator that every great leader possesses? Well, the greatest leaders I've been around and, and learned from, Randy, uh, they, they, tr- they go from self to service, right? You know, a lot of, a lot of great leaders we look at as, as, as a person uh, to serve. Like, you look at a Napoleon, you look at a Christopher Columbus, you look at, you look at some of these great world leaders, right? You, you think of them on these pedestals, you think of them on these mountains, right? And, and, they, and they appear, or at least they have the facade of, you know, serve me, serve me, I'm, I'm the top, I'm the king, right? But the greatest leaders, I think, in this entire world were the ones that um, looked to serve instead of be served. You know, I look at, I look at a player like Shane Doan, a captain for Arizona, uh, a player that, you know, you're talking to him, you're in a 20-minute conversation with him. He doesn't want to be anywhere else in the world except in that conversation with you. He makes you feel like you're the most important person in, that, in, in his life at that moment. You know, Sidney Crosby was kind of the same way. You know, here's here's a player with this amazing uh, persona and this energy, uh, intimidating to some degree, 
but he never looked at any point to, to, you know, be, you know, serve me and, and to, and to honor me and to get in line and follow me. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Uh, the best leaders to me were always ones that humbled themselves, uh, put themselves back down at the bottom, had time for children, had time for kids, had time for uh, people that are lower than them. Uh, and then I think when, when they do that, I think that you really, you really strike a core with people and, and you get inside of them and you really touch a feeling. And then I think that those are the kind of feelings that make those people want to follow you um, down the road. Joey, I think a perfect representation of the leadership you're talking about is Jake Allen, a guy who certainly turned to service last season when the Blues were in their Stanley Cup championship run. We obviously know that he got moved to Montreal this week. We had a feeling it was coming because the Blues need the calories, uh, excuse me, the salary cap space. But what was your reaction when you heard Jake Allen was moving to Montreal? Well, it's a great example. You know, Michelle, I think that, you know, uh, there's an old saying that, you know, with, with, with guys that lead very well and players like Jake Allen, you know, they're, you know, you won't always remember what they did and you won't always remember what they said, but you will never, ever forget how someone made you feel. And, and I think that for Jake and his time here in St. Louis and the people's lives that he touched, fans, players, uh, heck, broadcasters, just anyone really, um, you, you never, you'll, like I said, I don't remember one thing that Jake and I specifically talked about I can't remember anything he specifically did or a huge save he made, but you know, thinking back on Jake Allen and the memories I have of him, I'll never forget uh, how he made me feel as a human. And, and I think that that is a true testament to, to a leader and a true testament to the kind of player that uh, we're going to miss here in St. Louis. You, look, you think back about what he did last year in that Stanley Cup run. You know, uh, First of all, Jordan Bennington comes in in January. Um, he just pretty much steals the show. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but he steals the show. It, it's, it's not his team. He took over the team. So Jake Allen, a player who's been there 12 years, has to sit back and let this kid come in and, and go on a run. And, and what did it look like? It looked like the Blues had all the pieces except one, the goaltending. They weren't getting a save. And, and Jake knew that, right? Uh, but then the playoffs come, and then he's called upon to, to you know pretty much humble himself in the sense that we need you to, in practice, since you're not probably going to get in games, how, how about you mimic to grasp for these players? You know, how about, how about we, we go through Hellebuck's videos? And that's what he did with uh, the goaltending coach, David Alexander. We looked at Hellebuck's tendencies. We looked at what Ben Bishop did. Ben Bishop's a goalie that he's biggest he is. He likes to go down and he has a weak blocker. So Jake, instead of practicing his strengths in practice, he, he decided to mimic these other goalies for the betterment of the team. And I'm looking at all these players in that locker room when they won that cup and they think about Jake Allen and that's what they're going to remember. They're going to remember a teammate. They're going to remember someone who put the players around him ahead of himself, which is a pretty rare thing these days. Uh, and that's, to me, the biggest reason why we're going to miss Jake Allen. Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. This is Labor Day weekend. How do you treat Labor Day weekend? Do you, uh, are, are you going to make some sourdough bread, have some sandwiches? Do you barbecue on Labor Day weekend? How do you use what is traditionally the last day of summer? You know, we're going to do a pool. Uh, we're going to do a pool at my parents' house. We always have a little get-together, which we're excited about uh, to do there. You know, Randy, you asked a dumb question. You, you never asked a dumb question, but you just asked a dumb question. Is I'm gonna, if I'm going to make any bread uh, this weekend? Because obviously, yes, I'm making some bread. I'm actually going to work on a, a, a pizza Bianca. So if you ever go to Rome, or if you guys have ever been there, but pizza Bianca is, is, is known for being in Rome. It's basically like a flat pizza that you kind of – it's almost like a ciabatta dough that you kind of spread out on a sheet pan and you dimple with your fingers, uh, but it's thin. And, and traditionally in Rome, 
what they do is they, they do this thin sheet of ciabatta. They pop it in the oven with just a little bit of sea salt and olive oil, something very simple. So I'm going to be working on that. And then if it turns out really good, I'm going to be making a special trip to the hill. I, I go to Digagorio's or Viviano's, and then you got to get the mortadella. Mortadella is basically like a bologna, but they sometimes put pistachios in if you get really good imported mortadella. And you do some mortadella with just a little bit of lemon zest and some tarragon or some thyme leaves, just something lemony, and then put that between a sandwich. I'm telling you, forget about it. You're, you're in heaven. Joey, you should see Michelle now. I'm just going to turn off my microphone and let you two talk about Italy. Uh, Joey, after you make a special trip to the Hill, will you make a special trip to the studio to drop that off for us? Oh, you know, it's a little bit out of the way. But yeah, I, I could probably do that for you. No, no. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. You know, we mentioned all the, I think, Michelle, you asked me this once, you know, what, what are some of the areas of St. Louis you like to hit or which areas? I, I encourage everyone out there, uh, this is a public service announcement, go to the Hill, just spend, spend a Saturday morning down at the Hill. Take your kids, take your grandkids, take your family, take a friend, just, just jump from shop to shop. It, it, is, it is a memory that I've had with my father growing up here in St. Louis. It's such an undercover one that I don't think a lot of people realize how great it is. But, but spend one Saturday, get your kids in the car and say, Dad, where are we going? The park? No, no, we're going to the hill. What's the hill? I'm going to show you. And you go to Viviano's when they open, and you get the sesame seeds and the good high-gluten flour. And then you go across the street to Digagorio's, and then you get the salami and the Genova, and then you get the mortadella from there. And then you hop over there to Volpe, and then you get some of the best hot salami you're ever going to eat in your life. And then across the street to Missouri Baking Company, where you're going to f- find my friend Mimi, Mimi Laurel. She's one of the sweetest old women in the entire world. She makes the best Gigelina sesame cookies you're ever going to eat in your life. And then from there, have lunch at Zia's. And then from there, you go to down the hill, um, down a little bit further, and then you get the Canetto salad to go for dinner. You have a, I mean, I'm telling you right now, um, the culture there is still alive. It's still vibrant, like it was in the 60s and 50s. The people there, the family, the traditions are so fun and so exciting. Uh, St. Ambrose Church is right there. Just so much to see. Uh, it's such an area of St. Louis that I really encourage people to do because it's some of my favorite memories I do still take my kids down there on the hill. Joey, do you think Doug Armstrong is taking Petro through that hill tour now? <laughs> <laughs> well, if he is, he, he doesn't have his priority straight. Uh, I will, I will say that. Or, or maybe he does. Maybe he does. Like he's like, we were saying, he's trying to get to the, uh, the heart, the heart of uh, Alex Petrangelo. You know, that's um, I, I hope so. You know, I look at what happened with Jake Allen to tie all this back together to Petro. Cause I think that is uh, why it happened. You know, I think that uh, Doug Armstrong made a, a big, a big stand with this. He said that we're serious about this. You know, I think I said it to someone the other day, you know, when, when you go to buy a house, if you visit the house a few times and you, and you think you like it, uh, well, until you, until you write up a contract, uh, that, that homeowner doesn't know if you're really serious or not. But for me, Doug Armstrong, he just wrote up a contract for Alex Petrangelo to show that side that we are serious about moving forward. This, this, isn't, this isn't just we're talking, we're speculating. We are literally making room for him. So we have made that step. Now I believe it's up to Petrangelo's group to come forward and say, all right, we see that you made some room here. Um, how much room do you think more you can make? And this is what we're looking at. So I think it really is going to kind of expedite the discussions. Uh, I'm hoping so anyway. But uh, the Blues still have about probably 3 or $4 million-ish, depending on how that Vince Dunn RFA contract looks, to kind of free up. But I think that this was a big chunk. And I think Doug did a great job uh, finding Jake a good home and uh, putting a lot of trust in Billy Huso. And at the end of the day, you're going to try to find room for Alex Petrangelo. I hope, I hope the, the talks do speed up here quickly. Joey V, have a great time on that Zoom today. We always appreciate your time. Have a wonderful weekend. 
Hey, thank you guys both. Have a great, wonderful, wonderful long weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. That's Joey Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to go back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and the Cardinal manager, Mike Schilt, is next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. The Cardinals getting ready to open a five-game, four-day series in Chicago against the Cubs. And joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the Cardinal manager, Mike Schilt. Skipper, I know how much time you spend with the media, so we appreciate you taking a little bit more with us today. Of course, Randy, Michelle. How y'all doing today? Everything's good. This is such a weird season. How different has it been managing just managing games on a day-to-day basis for you as opposed to last year when all that was going on was baseball? Yeah, clearly different in every every step of the way. Even the games are a little different in the fact of rules and the preparation, the limited ability to to gather, you know, everything clearly for all of us that are listening has, has changed and and you accept it you move on to figure out the best way to to create a solution for the ever-evolving game of baseball and the ever-evolving things that that are that are around it mike you the front office members of the cardinals organization have described this year as an evaluation year for some of your players you certainly want to get them as many bats as possible so you know what you have out of certain guys and you suck with guys even when they haven't been performing or producing for you to get those at bats but how do you balance that evaluation with also trying to win every night it has to be a difficult decision for you sometimes yeah michelle you hit the i mean it's a, it's a great question and one that um continue to to wrestle with and and it's you know we we always look you know when you have young players patience is required i mean uh, you know regardless i mean there's very few people that that start their career whether baseball or your occupation or coaching or whatever that you know everybody that started their career needed a little bit of a pretty much an opportunity to find out and get their footing and, and have a learning curve to it you know there's very few just absolute rock stars that just show up and and just go into something that's really challenging like our game and and just take off. So the patience is required for development and you know, but that patience you allude to is not something that you know, we have high expectations that we don't regardless of circumstance, we don't shy away from with the with the St. Louis Cardinal organization. You know, so it is a different year in a lot of ways that we alluded to earlier. And it's a little bit different year where you know, we are creating opportunities for guys that have earned them. You know, we've, these guys have ability, and um, they've, they've rewarded some of those opportunities. And, and look, you know, regardless of how much experience they have, there's 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 not going to – you know, this game is challenging. You know, the veteran guys, you know, have a, have a, a more clarity and experience they can rely on to have an approach that allows them to be more consistent, which is a word I use a lot because that's really what we, we expect out of uh, – and want out of big league players is that consistency – you know, but it's it's a hard, challenging thing, and it's a learned thing. And their experience is the best teacher. And we have a lot of guys that are in our clubhouse that are being really, really supportive and helping and teach. And that's one way wisdom takes place um, through other people's experiences. But you know, the best way you learn is through your own. And um, it is a balancing act. I think we're doing it really well, quite honestly. You know, hey, this guy can can get this opportunity and take off with it and, and grow, and we get to see what he can do and how he does, how he responds, which is a big thing. I mean, the response to it is a big part of it because this is a game, especially on the offensive side, of, of failure. 
And how to learn how to do that is, 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 believe it or not, equally important as how to learn how to have the success because that allows that consistency to, to happen when, you know, you, you have a setback or things don't go as well. How do you stay present to learn how to, how to, you know, get them the next time and stay available mentally and, and, um, what that looks like. And, and that's a learned thing. And, and I've talked to, you know, and we've had guys that have come through that. You know, we've had success with this. You know, I talked to Paul DeYoung. He's, he's figured out what that looks like. He's had his learning curve, and he's been honest and open about it. You know, look up with Jack Flaherty last year. If people look back in, in Dakota Hudson and say, well, you know, think the consistency's not there. And, you know, but talking to those guys and, hey, stay with it and keep working and, and you know, getting and take advantage of, of the experience that you have and, and listening to others and, be better the next time out. And both those guys took that step, but there was a learning curve to it um, last year. You know, I know we don't want to go through that learning curve, but it's important that, that we allow the opportunity to happen. And, but there is, and it's part of my job to figure out. And of course, you know, I do get guidance from our front office appropriately. So, and, and the balancing act of making sure that we have our ability to put our best foot forward and, and win and compete and give those guys the experience that they can grow from is, is a delicate balance, and, and it's one we're, we're doing the best we can to strike. Mike Schill with us on 101 ESPN. And Mike, you used three terms there, expectations, learning curve, and patience. All three of those apply <laughs> to Dylan Carlson, don't they? And uh, right now, uh, he, he's dealing with that learning curve. Heck, he, he played 18 games at AAA, took four months off from playing games, and then he shows up at the major league level. So with our expectations, he does have quite a learning curve and obviously the patience of the organization. But what have, what have your impressions been of Carlson? Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it because people sometimes just don't, and, and understandably, they just know the name, they know the talent. He's had good spring trainings. He's really a super talented young man. He's going to have a nice career. But the fact of the matter is, you know, that's, one of the reasons that the learning curve is taking place more at the big leagues is because guys go the, through the minor leagues so quickly. And it's a credit to their ability. These guys are physically more advanced than they, they've ever been um, for a variety of reasons we don't need to get into. But you know, but you do look up and you realize that you've basically played with people in your peer age group with, with close to similar experiences your entire life. And then you make that jump to the big, league, big leagues, and now you've gone – and you've broadened not only the age level you're competing against, but more importantly, the experience level you're competing with at this level. And don't kid yourself to think that's not an adjustment. And and so Dylan's handling it really well. We're going to continue to give him opportunities. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is I think he's going to be just fine. I think his learning curve will be fairly steep and he'll get through it um, based on how his He's able to mentally deal with it, and and looks like he's very mature and even kill guy, and 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 he's got ability. You know that that clearly helps. So Dylan's going to be fine, and he's going to he's going to get through this, and um, there's going to be some growing pains, and and we're going to look up in you know some period of time and and look back you know years from now and go, man, what a career! But just similar to the people that have been established and have careers in any sport or any any field or occupation, don't kid yourselves. And if you're listening, you've you had your learning curve too. If you're at your top of your field or you're close to it or you've had sustained success in the field, you know, you probably can look back and realize that there was some moments that weren't real pretty when you first started. 
is that the truth? <laughs> we all have that, Mike. You're absolutely right. But when Dylan first arrived on the scene with the Cardinals, he was open with the media. I know you've spoken about this as well, about the mentorship that he received internally. Mm-hmm. And one of those guys that he mentioned and that you mentioned that really kind of took him under his wing was Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the leaders of this team, we know Yadier Molina. We know Adam Wainwright. They've been mm-hmm. the faces of the franchise for a really long time. But can you take us behind the scenes into the clubhouse? What is Paul Goldschmidt's leadership role like with this team? All those three guys you mentioned are really, really good leaders and stewards of our of our clubhouse and of our game, and they do it in different ways, and, and they do it in ways that, that I don't need to see. I don't go in the clubhouse a lot, but I, I do observe them. You know, Goldie's a very, you know, more stoic, quiet, but very giving, very matter-of-fact, has a heart, just like Yachty Wayno, um, Matt Weeders, Andrew Miller, other guys on our team, has a real heart for pouring into – and helping the, the the next player become the best version of themselves, and he's just got a nice demeanor. He's a positive guy. He's he presents things in a very simple, well thought out, articulate and manner that that really resonates. It's practical, very practical in his information, and he's relatable. And he's and he in a and I'm pretty certain he's he's pretty vulnerable about you know hey I experienced this and I had trouble with that or you know this is what I think about and. I mean, can encourage you, but he's ultimately he's got a lot of wisdom and he's an encourager and he's a tremendous um, resource. And I, I'm very grateful for him and the other guys that they're willing to shepherd these young players and, and help them through that learning curve. Cardinal manager Mike Schilt with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. More coming up right after this. We appreciate the time of the Cardinal manager Mike Schilt today. He's joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and. Mike, yesterday we had Tony Larusa on the show, and I asked him why the Cardinals have been so good for so long, and mentioned the Red Sox and the, the roller coaster they've been on since 2004. The Twins, bad, good, bad, good. The Royals have been in that same sort of a situation, and he attributed the Cardinal overall success to leadership in the clubhouse. So, with that being said, we talked about Goldschmidt, but Molina, Wainwright, how much better do those guys make you, and how much do you lean on them as you go about your day? A lot. Um, on both phases, I lean on them a lot. I trust them a lot. But you know, the clubhouse is really the really the strength of of any club. You know, look, my job is to help make good decisions, help provide you know solid preparation, hold appropriate accountability. But I can't do any of that without a group of players that they have um, the desire to be great individually and collectively, and and be um, walk the walk. And, and that's what that group does. I mean, they're very sincere about us being good. They're dedicated. Um, they do. They take seriously the little things because little things add up to big things. They're very professional. They're dedicated to um, their individual crafts, which, which send the message. You know, actions do speak louder than words. But then when they do speak, they also speak with wisdom and come from a place of, of teamwork, you know, and of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's team first, win first with this group. And and look, they all have their own individual careers. They've all done very well in their careers. They've been rewarded for their for their talents and their effort and their dedication to their careers. Um, they all have their off field brands and 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 are involved in communities, which is in, impressive. But they're very sincere about uh, the group being being good and the next group being being good. And and um, you know, it's a it's a learned behavior and it's a. It's something that we we hold dearly, and and as far as helping me, I mean that's the, you know, look, you know, that group has allowed us 
to do what we are supposed to do, but all the credit for our success goes to that clubhouse. Mike, what's the latest information that you can give us about Carlos Martinez and his return? Four innings simulated game yesterday um, through in the 50s of pitches. 91-94, good sink. Slaughter was good. We got better as he went, felt strong. You know, we'll see how he recovers today. Uh, but he's on track to get back to to be able to help us out and, and um, you know, start to – because we got all these doubleheaders coming up. We're going to really need – you know, pretty much six starters that can that can carry and shoulder the innings. Mike, it's interesting. A hundred percent of the fans that I've talked to and the people in the media, they like the seven inning doubleheaders. Maybe not eight of them in September or whatever it's going to be. How do you like? <laughs> how do you like them? Yeah, I got I, that. That um, I can echo that. I, I don't mind them. I, I, you know, I dealt with them in the minor leagues, and you know, I think for for I mean, look, you know, moving forward, you don't expect to have them like this. I mean. Hopefully, we break out of this COVID world at some point for for beyond baseball. Um, but you know, you, you just you don't expect to have them that frequently at the major league level. Um, if it's going to be a new, somewhat norm, the seven innings just make a lot of sense. We talk about the pitchers clearly. You know, you, you want to make sure that we're taking care of players' health. Seven innings is a competitive game. Um, it is what it is. You can you can manage it. You can strategize for it. But seven innings is a, is a, is a competitive game. Um, and it makes sense for the pitching, and it also makes sense for the position players because you know that's a group that probably does. That's the lunch pail group, right? That you know people rightfully so talk about the protection, and we do our best to back to Michelle's point earlier. You know, we the fine line between competition and and taking care of our players is also taking place on our pitching side. And I feel like we've done a really good job. Communication has been a big part of that with our pitchers. Um, we're not going to – I think we've proven that. We've been able to take care of our pitchers and, and pass the ball around, as Mike Maddox, our pitching coach, would say, with, and, and still been competitive, clearly. But the position players and doubleheaders, and, uh, and a lot of them light up, you know, those are the guys that are out there on their feet getting after running the bases and grinding. And uh, we try to do the best we can to take care of them as well. And, so the seven innings does make some sense for that standpoint also. Mike, I want to talk about one guy that's going to get time because of the doubleheaders, and he's given the Cardinals so much, this is Matt Carpenter, that you, you want to be patient and you're going to give him time. Are you seeing things from Matt that make you believe that he's going to be able to come out of this? And if so, what, what if you can share it with the fans, what would it be? Yeah, you know what? Um, the one thing that I appreciate that we have more of is, is there's more clarity to measurables. And, and we do a good job with that. It's moved our needle. You know, it's, we've been able to um, blend the techniques with the measurables and, you know, some of the things that we can track and then have a better idea of where players are trending, give them a better idea where they're trending, how they're trending. I know you asked about Carver. For example, like Tyler O'Neill, you know, the bat against Iglesias, we feel comfortable in that at bat because Tyler strikes them just was improved dramatically. Um, he hit the ball in the air, so we got to run our third with less than two outs. You know, he had a good at bat against the Glaciers the day before. Lines, you know, it's a rocket to left field. But we can have confidence in that at bat because we know he's he's trending, he's not chasing, and so forth. You know, relative to Carp, similar deal. We're seeing um, always going to have good strike zone discipline. He's able, he's been able to get to more pitches. He's been able to to handle more pitches. He's been able to barrel more pitches. You know, so so all the measurable things point in the right direction. You know, he's not as dimensional. He just hadn't been rewarded as much. You know, he's hit the ball the other way more. 
you know, he's hit a lot of balls to the warning track, you know, especially in our stadium. Um, and he's hit some pe- balls at people. So in that regard, you know, there is some, some, um, some positivity that he's, you know, proverbially trending in the right direction. But we do recognize that results are important, and we can't minimize that, as, you know, that being a part of it as well. And one reason that we believe is because we saw what happened with De- uh, Dexter Fowler, who I thought Mike was giving the Cardinals more than they could have reasonably yeah. expected when he had to leave the lineup. It's a bummer that he had to leave the lineup. Yep, yep, yep. Couldn't agree more, Randy. Um, and, and some of the same things that we just talked about apply to Dexter. You know, he was, um, you know, well-documented, not in a great place, you know, in, on a couple levels, a couple years ago, you know, he got back to being more of himself, which I appreciate. <clears throat> you know, he's got that you know million dollar smile that we love to see, and we saw started to see more of it, and got some joy back in his in his game. And but also there were just some things that that we were able to recognize that he was able to work on and individually. And, and he's got you know Barry Bonds is a, is a guy that he's worked with as well. But there was clarity, and there was um, you know agreement on some of the things he was needed to work on and he was able to tighten some things up with his swing and we started to see some of those measurables get back to where we would hope they would as far as you know strike zone management as far as exit velocity as far as you know the swing itself and just being more compact and you know Dex is in a really good spot and he worked really hard to his credit and he gets all the credit to get back to being able to to get the most out of his ability and that's all we're really looking for at every turn with our players is how do we figure out to give them the best tools and then allow them to get the most out of their time, energy, effort, and God-given ability. And Dex was able to do that and having a really, really nice year, not only offensively but also defensively as well. A nice running grab in the Cleveland series, two sliding catches, Colt cut multiple balls off in the gap, holding guys to first base a couple times led to double plays that, you know, just did a, nice, a lot of nice things for us, you know, ran the base as well, and, and it was you know, continue to be. We talked about that veteran, you know, presence in the in the clubhouse. He had his own way of shepherding guys and being positive with with our players. So, you know, he he really picked up his game, stepped it up, and was having a nice season for us that was contributing to us winning. And and um, gonna miss all of that. Hey, Mike. One last thing before we let you go. I mentioned to you on the night before you guys came back in Chicago. Uh, I suggested that at least in my observation, what you guys are doing after the COVID-19 was one of the greatest challenges in baseball history, coming back with all that time off and playing games right away with no time to really prepare for it. And I know you're living in the moment, but as we sit here in early August, how much pride do you take in the in the way your team has done what they've done over the last three weeks or so? Yeah, I'm a pretty present guy, as you know, Randy, and evaluate what we have and stay present with my time and energy. But even to take a step back, and I think it's appropriate maybe on an off day to look back, there's just the amount of respect, and you know, it's almost indescribable because, you know, like you say, it's historic. It's, it continues to be historic. I mean, what we're continuing to do is, is something that's not even been close to have happened in the history of our game, and we're doing it pretty daggone well. But you look back and you realize that if you think that you lose a third of your roster, half of your coaching staff you don't get to participate in baseball for two weeks for three days every player gets a 20 to 30 minute window to throw or to play catch or to hit off a machine and to take a few ground balls and to come back and to to win your first series back and to compete to the level that we've competed at at the major league level the highest level you've got pitchers that have come in and 
pitched in the series in Chicago that didn't even throw a live batting practice. And guys like Meisinger, who hadn't pitched in a game in a year, are pitching in a game without missing about five steps that would take place prior to typical competition. We have 13 players make their Cardinal debut basically in three days. And to do what we've been able to do to keep things how we've kept them and to continue to do so is speaks volumes to our entire organization. The players get the utmost credit for it by staying mentally and physically ready to compete, and they deserve that credit. We do our jobs as staff, but I will say, based on some unbelievable, unusual, um, hopefully never-to-be-seen-again circumstances, our organization was able to step up and people were able to step into roles, and we were able to, to, to keep this thing, you know, we did our jobs, but people did their jobs really well um, medically, you know, from our clubhouse group, from our field staff, clearly across the board. There's people that did unbelievable, unbelievable work. And um, But we um, are where we're at now, and we move forward, and we continue to put our heads down and figure out a way to, to – continue to find solutions to help us win baseball games. Mike, Michelle and I are lucky because we're fans with access. And on behalf of these two fans, we can't thank you enough for what what you do, the time you spend with us, but also for bringing us Cardinal baseball. You know how important it is to this community. And as a couple of fans, we thank you very much. Well, we're grateful for it. We're blessed to be able to do it. And um, we'll continue to do our best to be good stewards of the organization. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Go get them in Chicago. Thank you. Will do. Thank you. That's the Cardinal manager, Mike Schiltz. Great conversation on 101 ESPN. Another great coach coming up. We have connected with Dick Vermeil, and he'll join us next on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Character with you, and it's always a pleasure to talk to one of my favorite people, the. Uh, Super Bowl winning head coach of the St. Louis Rams, Dick Vermeil, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Coach, it is great to visit with you this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Everything's okay, except in the Napa Valley where our, our wine business is sure shut down. But other than that, we're doing well. I, that was the first thing I wanted to ask you is the, the wine business. And I know you're doing a virtual tasting, but nothing going on in terms of making wine right now? Oh, no, we're making wine. Oh, yeah, we're making wine. We're picking grapes as we speak. This is the first time since I retired that I'm not out there. But anyway, yeah, you know, the, the taste room basically is 90% closed. We okay. have two couches front that they can serve some wine in. But anyway, uh, you know, the whole valley's under the same restrictions. So uh, uh, that's the way it is, you know. Coach, I know that during this time, a lot of people have been doing happy hours. They've been doing wine tastings and things over Zooms. And I know Vermeil Wines has been doing that as well. Can you tell us what you've been doing in the digital space in the wine industry? Well, you know, uh, fortunately, our online sales are up. Our Clyde Wine Club memberships, we've offered them some special deals to really lower our inventory some for the new vintages coming out later. And uh, so that's been good. That's been good. The virtual tastings are are productive in that normally when people go on a virtual tasting, which to get on a virtual tasting with me, they have to buy the three lead Cabernets in a box with two wine glasses. And that qualifies them if they so desire to come online with me on 
a visual tasting or virtual tasting. And normally we sign up wine club members in doing that. So that's a positive. Now, we've only done six or seven of them. I've got four or five charity events scheduled to do that are bigger. Uh, But uh, that's our main sales approach right now, other than our wine club and online. Coach Vermeil, last week we talked about the, it was the anniversary, the 21-year anniversary of Trent getting hurt and you guys switching over to Kurt as your starting quarterback. And I was wondering, because I don't think I've ever asked you, what was preparation like? 21 years ago right now, you were preparing your team to play the Baltimore Ravens and Kurt Warner was your new starting quarterback. What was that week and a half like after Trent got hurt as you prepared for that game against the Ravens? Well, I tell you, we made one good decision, okay? First off, to give the job to Kurt. The second good decision, really, was so two good decisions, is to approach the game in preparation as if Trent Green was starting the game. Don't approach the game as we're taking the quarterback and it's never played or never started, okay? We we just, Mike March did a great job. Al Sonner, Jim Hannafin, and those guys did a great job of preparing the offense to play as if we didn't lose Trent. Therefore... We found out in the opener that Kurt could handle it. Rather than restricting everything and limiting us and limiting the ability of my coaching staffs to be creative, uh, we just pretended like, hey, he's had had 10 years of playing and he'll get it done, and he did. (laughs) So, Coach, you didn't change anything in the offense at all, not one thing from Trent to Kurt? Not one thing. Not that I know of, unless they did it behind my back, which they never did. <laughs> well, the, the one thing that I was thinking at the time, Coach, is here you had collected all of these great skill position players, but you also had Marshall Falk. And you wouldn't have had to change anything, but still been able to change your philosophy. And I thought that was the interesting thing is philosophically, Mike didn't change a thing. And you didn't say, hey, let's run the ball. We have Marshall Falk. He's a great running back. You came out winging it. Yeah, well... Uh, thanks to Mike and Al Saunders and Jim Hannafin and all my offensive coaches, you know, uh, uh, and our overall philosophical decision, uh, it worked out. But the guy that made it work out was Kurt Warner. What if he had failed? What if he had fallen flat on his face in that opener and was starstruck and couldn't throw an accurate pass at 20 yards? You know, <laughs> he did just the opposite. Hey, so he did throw an interception in the ball game, which in the next five games, I don't think he threw one. He, he was amazing. We also, in the media, Coach, we brought up the name of Jeff Hostetler during that period of time. Was that something that was seriously considered among you guys? It was considered because uh, Mike White knew him well from the Oakland Raiders. I think that's where the connection was, yeah, if I remember right. Remember, that's, like you said, 21 years ago. (laughs) At 84, I'm not too sure what happened 21 (laughs) years ago, okay? But anyway, I really think uh, Mike White, said we should evaluate it and which we did and then it was just a a consensus decision obviously to just stay with what we had in under contract coach you had that iconic line after trent goes down and kurt is the guy he gets the call where you said we will rally around kurt warner and we will play good football as you just said you guys really had no idea if he was going to go out there and fall flat on his face or not so when you were saying that was that as much for the fans and the media uh was that for yourself too to to say to yourself hey this is going to be okay no that's what i really believe i thought we were a very good football team and i thought we could adjust if if kurt couldn't do what we had hoped he could do and did 
is that we would then emphasize the run and a different style of passing game and, and restrict things a little bit more. And, you know, Mike Marks and my offensive staff very much capable of doing that. But fortunately, we did not have to do that. But I was very emotional and very sincere in what I said. I really believed we were a good football team. I had told John Shar during training camp, this is a playoff football team. And John's comment, listen, I've been told that for many years. Don't tell me. (laughs) But anyway, uh, and I tease John every time I talk to him about it. But anyway, uh, uh, no, uh, you know, but the star of the whole thing is Kurt Warner. Okay. Regardless of what we talk about and how bright we are as coaches and all that kind of stuff. The star of the football team was the two years in preparation to get to a point where you could say, this is a fine football team, you know. Coach, we know that athletes always have belief in their in themselves and in their skills, but what was Kurt Warner's demeanor like when he realized that he was going to be the guy? When he went in, was he nervous at all, or was he very confident in his abilities? Well, if he was nervous, he had great ability to hide it. Now, I'm sure, he, I personally, I looked at him as having no more nervous reaction than any other veteran starting the league opener. Hey, you know, Peyton Manning got nervous before the league opener. Why wouldn't Kurt Warner? But you would think Kurt Warner, never having experienced that, would show many more varieties of nervousness, okay, if that's the way to express it. But he didn't. He did not. I think he was a little bit in awe. But, he, you know, he had great confidence in himself. He really believed in himself and great faith. And great support at home from his wife and, and had great support from my coaching staff. Uh, uh, and, you know, the only thing I talk about is that, Kurt, I know you can do it. I believe you can do it. And he did it. Coach Vermeil with us on 101 ESPN. And, and Dick, Michelle asked me last week when we talked about the Trent injury, she said, when did you actually believe in Kurt Warner? And for me, it was the Cincinnati game. What about you? When did you say, and I know there's a, you on the sideline, uh, might have been the Cleveland game, that quarterback's pretty good. When did it strike you that, hey, I've really got something special here? 49er game. What game was that? Third, fourth game of the season? I think that was the fourth, yeah. Yeah. Remember what the score was at the end of the first quarter? Was it 21 to nothing? 21 to nothing. They had beaten the Rams 17 times in a row. And to be ahead 21 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, I can remember like it's yesterday, and I say it to Jim Hannafin when I talk to him. Jim, <laughs> this kid can play. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, and Michelle and I want to talk about the legacy of that offense because you are a, a guy who knows the history of football. And Mike, we obviously we're biased here in St. Lu- or Mike uh, Dick, we're, we're biased here in St. Louis because they were our offense. But when you have yeah. Kurt Warner and Orlando Pace and Marshall Falk and Isaac Bruce in the Hall of Fame, and Tory Holt is probably going to make it. Do you think that's the greatest offense ever? Well, if it's not the greatest, it's one of the two or three. For example, last year's world champion. Kansas City Chiefs, everybody raves about it, okay? They scored 526 points in 16 games. No, they scored 451 points in 16 games. The Rams scored 526. The Rams had, excuse me again, the Chiefs had 6,067 yards. Unbelievable. The Rams had 6,400. Average 400 yards per game, you know, and, and the Chiefs 379. Now, were we a better football team? I don't know. But our offensive numbers were slightly better. So, pretty damn good offensive football team. And you were playing in a, uh, an era when defense was still a part of the game and people could hit. 
Yeah, and we were fortunate. We were playing an area, an era when you're initially, uh, uh, Mike and the staff and all of us in, initiated a, a little more aggressive approach to the game. So all of a sudden, you got three great big linebackers on a line of scrimmage on defense in the first quarter. You know, the two, three 240 pounders. You know, you don't see that anymore. Why? Because you're throwing the ball on first and second down a lot more. And you have different kinds of tight ends catching the ball, you know, 100 times, 90 times a game. So it, I, I think it was part of the initiation of a movement because it was so successful. Coach, I think we can all agree then now after after hearing your answers that we should just stop comparing other offenses to the greatest show on turf. Because I know in St. Louis, it really bothers us when people will say the Chiefs are the greatest show on turf version two, or when they said the Rams team a few years ago was the greatest show on turf version two, that we should just let that team exist as, as the great team that it was. Just let it be. You know, the Kansas City team might actually be have been a better offense last year because they were facing defenses more adjusted to the modern offenses. So um, maybe our, you take our same offense and put it against the modern defenses of last season, maybe our numbers wouldn't be as spectacular. Okay, So you just have to take it for what it was. And it's a little hard to predict what it would be today, but it wouldn't be far off. Again, there'll be five Hall of Fame football players off that same offensive football team when it's all said and done, as soon as Torrey Holt goes in, and that's probably a year away. Coach Vermeil, it's always great to hear your voice. We always appreciate your time. We always love the Vermeil wines, as you know. Uh, I, I love it and tell people that I know, hey, if you're going to give a gift, make sure you go to vermeilwines.com because it's as good as it gets. Thank you. appreciate it very much. Thank you. You're your first-class act. Always have been. Thank you, Coach. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. You too. That is the great Dick Vermeil joining us on 101 ESPN. You heard it from Coach. Let it be. Yeah, and it is hard to imagine that you could have a group that is better. And he, he puts it in the perspective, yeah, well, at least among the top two or three, maybe you can put that 49ers offense with Montana and Taylor and Craig, although Taylor and Craig didn't make the Hall of Fame and they didn't have an off, offensive lineman that made the Hall of Fame. The Patriots teams that scored all those points, they're going to have maybe two with Brady and Gronkowski, but that'll be it. When you look at the individuals that formed the unit, and there's still only two teams in history that have scored 500 points in a season three consecutive years, the Rams and the Patriots, and the Patriots did it in a different era. I'm willing to say that the the greatest show on turf, I'll let it be as the number one number one offense ever. But when you look at that offense and you look at the the people that comprise that team, doesn't isn't that so indicative, Randy, of how difficult it is to win? That that team should have been a dynasty, mm-hmm. and it got one championship out of that collective group. Jay Zygmunt became, after Coach left, the president of football operations, and uh, Jay and I are, are friends, and he would talk to me almost every Monday, especially when they got off to that bad start in 2 And I think he just kind of wanted to vent to somebody and say, you don't realize how hard it is in the NFL to win a game. Just win a game. We know because 95 through 98, he said, winning a Super Bowl is really hard. When you put into perspective how hard it is just to win one game, winning a Super Bowl is really hard. So, yeah, we, we probably, because of the talent on hand, we as fans should have seen more, but it's difficult to do, especially when you're going against cheaters. <laughs> Especially if the other team knows what's coming. (laughs) Exactly. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN coming up a delayed fight here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
small man. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We have a late fr- fight on this Friday, but it's because we have Cardinals manager Mike Schilt join us and legendary St. Louis Rams coach, Super Bowl champion Dick Vermeil. So Drake is our fighter today. Sorry, Drake, that we had to push the fight back a segment, but you understand when we have a lineup like that that we have to adjust, right? We had to call an audible. Uh, yeah, I completely understand. It doesn't get any better than that on a Friday. Yes, indeed, Drake. All right, let's keep rolling here. Have some fun. Question number one. How many Major League Baseball teams did Matt Holiday play for? Was it three, four, or five? Four. All right, question number two for you, Drake. Dick Vermeil coached the Rams for how many years? Two, three, or four? Three. Drake, we all know that Joey Vitale played for the Pittsburgh Penguins in his career, but what is the other team that he played for? The Coyotes? The... Yeah, that's uh, that's my fault. Is it the Coyotes, <laughs> the Bruins, or the Canadians? There you go. The Canadians. And question number four for you, Drake. What number did Mike Schilt wear in his first game as Cardinals manager? Was it number three, number eight, or number 83? Hmm. Eight. All right, checking score here. Drake, do you have a good weekend on tap? Uh, yeah, we got a great weekend on tap. We got a lot of stuff planned. What do you have planned, if you don't mind sharing with our listening audience? Well, well, my brother-in-law turned 21 the other day. We got a, a socially distant party tonight. All right. Uh, my mother turned 50 this week. Shout out to her. Shout out uh, to your mom. A, surprise party for her on Saturday and then a hog roast on Sunday. So it's going to be great. That sounds great, Drake. Hopefully you're not on your worst behavior. Randy, say good morning to Drake. Hey, Drake. Everybody loves the Drake. How you doing? Oh, I'm awesome, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Now, Michelle is not quite familiar with uh, Seinfeld. Are you familiar with that episode? I, I truthfully am not, Randy. I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. No, that's okay. It's just a... Uh, it's an iconic Seinfeld episode, and you should know it because in it they say consistently, consistently, everybody loves the Drake. <laughs> Michelle threw a Drake reference in there too, talking oh. about the worst behavior. Oh, oh man, Scott, you were just well supposed done. to let it play. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> you so- are I'm killing me here, <sighs> Scott. All right, you're, doing, you're killing me, Smalls today. All right, I'm Randy. <laughs> question number one: How many Major League Baseball teams did Matt Holiday play for? He played for the Rockies, the A's, the Cardinals the Yankees, and then the Rockies again. So I'm going to say five stops, four teams. Question number two for you, Randy. Dick Vermeil coached the Rams for how many years? For 97, 98, and 99, those three seasons. Randy, we all know that our friend Joy Vitale played for the Pittsburgh Penguins in his career, but what is the other team that he played for? The Arizona Coyotes. And your final question, Randy. What number did Mike Schilt wear in his first game as Cardinals manager? Okay, he switched to number eight. I'm going to go with... uh, Was he 38? Um, He was... 
I'll, I'll just say 38. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Drake. Randy edged you out three to two. It must have been God's plan. So let's run through the answers here. Matt Holliday played for four Major League Baseball teams. The Rockies, the A's, the Cardinals, and the Yankees. Dick Vermeil coached the Rams for three years, 97, 98, and 99. Our friend Joey V played for the Pittsburgh Penguins and for the Coyotes. Was it 83? It was 83. Mike, <laughs> Mike Schultz wore number 83 in his uh, first game as Cardinals manager. Great. Drake, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Hey, thank you so much, Michelle and Randy. Have a good one. You too, Drake. Thank you. Darn it. That's okay. <laughs> so I should have remembered. I, I knew there was a three and an eight. It just didn't strike me. But as a coach, he was 83. So, but not, And now he's number eight. I can always tell when you know that you got it wrong as I'm playing the sounders here. I can see it in your face. It comes to you before <laughs> I even read the answers. Yeah, well, okay. Since I'm out next week, I'm glad that uh, we don't have to have Drake take on Danny Mac or you in the fight next week? It's going to be Danny Mac. We haven't told him yet, but okay. I'm terrible with trivia, Randy. Yeah. I will be terrible. We and at least with Dan, we can throw some Cardinals, yeah, questions in there. Yeah. He'll be great. So we have a best of show on Monday. Heck, today's kind of like a best of show, but we have a best <laughs> of show on Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I am out next week. I'm going to do socially distanced stuff. I'm staying in town. I'm not getting on on an airplane or anything. And then uh, Danny Mac is going to fill in from 7 to 10 every day. And I, I believe he's still going to do the 10 to 11, too. He's a gamer. He is. Yeah, he's awesome. So we're looking forward to that. Danny Mac will be with you from 10 to 11 today here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we've got today's big thing. How big is this series for the Cardinals? And we have something else. did we move something here? Are we doing your kill? Uh, maybe eight? No, no, we got Tioli. Oh, that's right. We missed out on Tioli. Hour, we got Tioli. I've, I've, I've got a take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 901 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We spoke to Mike Schilt about an hour ago here on 101 ESPN, and you'll be able to hear that interview if you missed it by just going to 101ESPN.com and listening on our podcast after the show. All of our shows and all of our interviews available at 101ESPN.com and the 101 ESPN app. You're going to want to check it out. It's a free app. And we have Tony LaRussa from yesterday. We have Mike Schilt from today. We're going to have Matt Holiday coming up this hour. All sorts of great interviews for you to check out. And it was an interesting conversation with Mike Shilton. It wasn't just about games and what's going on, but a lot of things about what's going on in that clubhouse. And Michelle asked about the leadership in the clubhouse, the fact that you've got those three big-time veteran leaders, Goldschmidt, Yadier Molina, and Adam Wainwright. And those are guys that, as it turns out, Mike Schilt really leans on. You know, Goldie's a very, you know, more stoic, quiet, but very giving very matter of fact, has a heart, just like Yachty Wayno, um, Matt Weeders, Andrew Miller, other guys on our team, has a real heart for pouring into and helping the, the, the next player become the best version of themselves. And he's just got a nice demeanor. He's a positive guy. He's, he presents things in a very simple, well-thought-out, articulate and manner that, that really resonates. It's practical, very practical in his information, and he's relatable. And he's and he in a and I'm pretty certain he's he's pretty vulnerable about you know hey I experienced this and I had trouble with that or 
you know, this is what I think about, and I'm going to encourage you. But he's multi- ultimately, he's got a lot of wisdom, and he's an encourager, and he's a tremendous um, resource. And I, I'm very grateful for him and the other guys that they're willing to shepherd these young players and, and help them through that learning curve. Imagine being Mike Schilt and having guys like that, like Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina and Paul Goldschmidt and Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter, these veteran guys that you know that when you're not in the clubhouse, that they're still upholding everything that they need to and that they're mentoring these young players and they're fulfilling those leadership roles. And I think there's a couple of things. Number one, they've all dealt with adversity. So these young outfielders, whether it's a Bader or an O'Neill or a Dylan Carlson or Elaine Thomas, all these kids, they know that these major league players have been through adversity and are willing to share their abilities to, as to how to get out of it. But another part of this, Michelle, is that we were told during spring training, I think it was Matthew Libertor said that Dakota Hudson came up to him and said, hey, if you ever have any questions, this clubhouse is awesome. These guys are so willing to help. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of the veterans, it might have been Flaherty and uh, Hudson took uh, Libertor out to dinner just to you know break bread and, and talk pitching with the guy. And that's two young guys that have learned from the likes of Wainwright over the years and before that some of the other veteran pitchers the Cardinals have had. And now they're paying it forward. And that's one of the great aspects to me of the Cardinal clubhouse is that players are willing to share what works for the betterment of the team. It's not, hey, I'm going to make mine, so I'm going to keep my secrets. Everybody's willing to share everything they know. But when you think about players like Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt, they've already had their success. They've mm-hmm. already gotten their money. So they're in a unique position to where they have have achieved things that they want and they realize that they need these young guys to get up to speed for them to ultimately win another championship or to win a championship. So it's not as if they feel threatened by these young players. Not that even if you know they had a young prospect coming for them that they wouldn't share knowledge, but it's just a unique situation to where they can still be the the stars of the show and be the veteran players and be the leaders of the clubhouse and embrace these younger players. But when you look at somebody like Paul Goldschmidt and his relationship with Dylan Carlson, he's looking at, at Carlson saying, hey, for the remainder of my time here, I'm going to need you to blossom and into the player that we all hope you're going to be. Yep. So whatever I can do to help that process along, lean on me. And it's amazing for Mike Schilt to have guys like that be a conduit for him between what he wants to do as a manager and, you know, getting that messaging through to those younger players. Another thing we talked with Mike about was Matt Carpenter, who was brought in by the front office a couple of years ago because even though he was hitting in bad luck, his metrics were strong. He was averaging 90.7 in exit velocity. He was in the top five, I believe, in the league. He just didn't have the results that were commensurate with the way he was hitting the ball. And we talked to Mo about that the other day, and he said, hey, he's just not hitting the ball like he did before. So we asked Mike Schilt about the patience that he has with Matt Carpenter. Similar deal. We're seeing um, always going to have good strike zone discipline. He's He's been able to get to more pitches. He's been able to, to handle more pitches. He's been able to barrel more pitches. You know, so so all the measurable things point in the right direction. You know, he's not as dimensional. He just hadn't been rewarded as much. You know, he's hit the ball the other way more. You know, he's hit a lot of balls to the warning track, you know, especially in our stadium. Um, and he's hit some pe- balls at people. So in that regard, you know, there is some, some, um, some positivity that he's, you know, proverbially trending in the right direction. 
but we do recognize that results are important, and we can't minimize those. You know that being a part of it as well. And with a month left, you love the idea that he might be trending in the right direction in terms of the peripherals. But how long can you wait for a trend to go on the upswing and have it result in production? It wouldn't seem as if you have enough time to wait that out, to have that patience. And I know that they want it to happen for Matt Carpenter. And I know that they can pull certain trends that they think are trending in a positive direction or certain factors, I should say, that are trending in a positive direction. But at the end of the day, you only have a couple weeks left. Yeah. And, and you are in a position right now to be a playoff team and you need to take that into account every single day. And he talked about improving barreling up the baseball, which is just what it says, hitting the ball hard with the barrel of the bat. And Matt Carpenter's barrel percentage per plate appearance at 3.0 is ranked 191st in Major League Baseball. To give you an idea, if you go to the top of the list, the people that are barreling barreling it up the best, Corey Seager at 15%, Miguel Sanoa of the Twins at 13%. These are guys that are hitting the ball really hard. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox at 12.8%. So for Marp to be down at 3% doesn't lead me to believe, at 3% of barrels, that there is going to be enough time for him to get back to what we know he has done in the past. I'm not going to say we know he's capable of. I almost did. But (laughs) what we know he's done in the past. Yeah, that's a a good way to frame it. And we know that the Cardinals and particularly Mike Schilt are never going to come out and say anything negative about a player. He is uh, a guy that's going to ride or die for his players. But we'll see coming up if we see Matt Carpenter still in there, if they actually believe that he's going to be able to put it together soon or not. If we we consistently see him in the lineup in the next three weeks, I don't know. It's going to be difficult. I'm sure it's a difficult decision for him to know what Matt Carpenter has been capable of in the past and looking at the trends and trying to determine, hey, we, we stuck with guys like Harrison Bader and he started to show us some results. We've, we've stuck with certain guys and it's worked out in our favor. Is it going to happen here with a guy like Matt Carpenter, who you know is putting the work in, who you know is watching right. the video, who you know is a great team player and you want him to, su- to succeed. But at the end, at the end of the day, Rand, results are all that matters. And especially when it's a guy like Carpenter who is being paid like and has been a middle-of-the-lineup presence. It's one thing if it's Harrison Bader and it's your number eight or nine guy, but this is a guy that you want to hit fourth or fifth in the lineup. He's never going to hit fourth again, but you want him to be a middle-of-the-lineup presence. And the, you, Those guys have to hit the ball hard. And he's just not hitting the ball hard enough to be one of those guys. Meanwhile, Michelle, a five-game series against the Cubs that starts tonight at Wrigley. Cardinals are three and a half back as they start this. I'll say this. The Cardinals can be eliminated from the division race this weekend. I don't think they can win the division race this weekend. They can hang in the division race this weekend. But if they lose four or five, they can be knocked out of the division race. Or if they win four or five, Randy. Then they're right in it. Because then all of a sudden you're... Only half game out at the end of the series. We need another Wrigley Field massacre is what we need. Yeah, five in a row would be great. Then you're in first place at the end of the series. And not a Wrigley Field massacre by them, but by the Cardinals. (laughs) That's right. Important (laughs) distinction. Important (laughs) distinction. But I would say that in terms of winning the division, this is the biggest series of the year. In terms of making the playoffs, is it? No. But if you want to pass Chicago and have that first seed from the NL Central, then this is the biggest series of the year. Yeah, after this series, you'll pretty much have a good determination of where the Cardinals are going to finish in the division, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and by the way, after this series and then that doubleheader against the Twins on Tuesday, it's clear sailing in terms of the 
opponents that the Cardinals will face the rest of the year. Nobody that is as stout uh, an opponent as the Cubs or the Twins the rest of the way. Yeah. The schedule, while it's robust, it's certainly winnable. Robust. That's a good Mo word. Robust. Yes. Thank you. Good. Well, well, we done. talked to Dick Vermeule last hour. I've got wine on the brain, a, a <laughs> robust wine, a yeah. robust flavor palette. You know, why not? That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN with Michelle. I'm Randy. Scott Manziar is here, ready to see and read your text. 65780, that is the Air Comfort Service text line. 65780. Michelle, breaking news this morning. The Washington Redskins are going to cut Adrian Peterson, Hall of Fame running back. He's one of the top five yardage gainers in the history of the National Football League. He is 35 years old. Take it or leave it. Adrian Peterson carries the ball one more time in the NFL. Ooh, that's a really good one. And I think I'm going to leave it. I am too. I I think think I'm going to leave it. I think this is the end of the line for Adrian Peterson. I forgot he was even with the Washington football team, Randy. Oh, yeah. I called him the Redskins, didn't I? Yeah, I... I, uh, It's going to take some time to get used to until they have a new nickname. I knew he was there, but he really has not been the old Adrian Peterson. He's fifth all-time in rushing yards in the NFL with 14,216, and I am of the belief that this is it. Four teams for Adrian Peterson started out with the Vikings, Saints, Cardinals, and Redskins, and cut by the Redskins today. By the way, Frank Gore has 15,347 yards and is still playing. He played with Walter Payton's son in college and now may pass Walter Payton on the all-time list if he has a good year this year. Wow. All right, Randy, I'm going to keep mine in the NFL. The Patriots have tabbed Cam Newton as their starting quarterback and as a captain. We had wondered if it was going to be Cam or Jared Siddham. Most people assumed it was going to be Cam, but it seems like word is official. Take it or leave it. Cam Newton will be under center and starting for the Patriots all 16 regular season games. I'm going to leave it. He just hasn't been healthy. And over the course of the last few years, he hasn't been able to do it. So I'm going to say that Jared Stidham gets at least one start. But Cam Newton will start the preponderance of the games. He did, Cam, two years ago, start all 16. He started all 16 games in his first three years and then in his fifth and seventh years, and then last year started only 14. But I'm going to say that he misses at least one. Scotty, what do you got for us? This is from the 314. Take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson hits one home run this weekend. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it, too. Yeah. It, it seems like that should be part of the story this season. That right. He goes up to Wrigley and he hits a home run. Definitely. It'd be nice if he'd hit one off of you, Darvish. That would be really nice. From the 314, take it or leave it. Jose Martinez doesn't surprise you with his bat, but he does surprise you with his defense this weekend. I'm going to leave that because I don't believe we will see him in a defensive position. <laughs> I I hope we do. I kind of do too. <laughs> Not to be shady, but I hope we do. Yeah, but no, I, I just don't, uh, I, I don't see David Ross doing that against the Cardinals for some reason. But it'll be fun. It's yeah. always entertaining. 
This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. There will be some sort of socially distanced bench clearing outing with all of the trash talk <laughs> that the Cubs have been talking about. I'm going to leave that. Mike Schilt doesn't want his team getting into any any beef. I'm going to leave it as well. Not because I don't think he wants them to get into any beef, but because there's already been a COVID outbreak. That's what with, I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say with the Cardinals, they're going to be extra careful. Yeah. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Take it or leave it. Nolan Arenado opts out of his contract and signs with the Cardinals. Yeah, I'll take that. You after, will. After 2021. That's what the Cardinals are angling for. They're just lying in wait. Yep. Now, that's a controversial take because Nolan Gorman should be ready for 2022 uh-huh. as well. I'm going to leave it because I think the Cardinals, this is a, a different year. And I just still don't know if they're going to want to sign the checks, if they're going to want to take on that contract. Thing is, Goldie, no, don't Goldie and Arenado have the same? No, Arenado and Stanton have the same agent. But Arenado's agent played in the Cardinal system. He really wants him to be here. And there's that lure of the Cardinals that he has. Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Nolan... Uh, desperately wants to be a member of the Cardinals and will take less the hometown discount to come here. Well, you know, Max Scherzer, I believe, Randy, really wanted to come here. And Fernando Tatis Sr. really wanted his son, Fernando Tatis Jr., to be here. And the Cardinals didn't bite on either one of those either. So I think having players who want to come here or people in their orbit that want them to come here might not be enough for the Cardinals to make the move. Did Max Scherzer go to Scott Boris and say, I want to take less to play in St. Louis? Because he did get $210 million. And if Scott Boris is his agent. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you have to take charge. If you're a client, you have to take charge. And that's my confidence in Nolan Arenado. And then I can't, I got nothing for the Fernando Tatis Jr. thing. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. I mean, that, that price was right, too. You've got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Staying at the third base position for the Cardinals, let's set an over-under at three. Take it or leave it that Matt Carpenter starts over-under three games for the Cardinals this weekend at third base. Mm. At third? At third. I'm going to take it. You are? Yes, because of the Fowler injury. I think Edmonds going to oh, be playing man. in the outfield. I might have to take it, too. I forgot about the Fowler thing. Yeah. Yeah. So And then you'll have Miller DH. Yeah. I love that Miller's the DH. I just love that. He's our guy. He He's is our, our guy. He's our our cleanup hitter. I heard uh, Ribs on BK and Ribs, or Ribs and BK yesterday calling him Milzy. He's their guy, <laughs> Milzy, which that's, I loved. It made me hockey, laugh. That's a hockey thing. By the laugh, way, they've yeah. got Hully on their show today, right? Ribs and BK have Hully on their show. So tune into Ribs and BK. What a lineup we've had so far. Pretty strong. Today on a Friday. From the 314, take it or leave it. Jake Allen does not play one game with the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, I'll leave that. Yeah, I'm going to leave it too. Play, well, Carey Price gets hurt all the time. He'll play at least 30, yeah. maybe 50. I was, Even, I was thinking maybe he gets traded again. Nah. If, if he was going to get traded again, that team that was going to trade for him would have made the offer to the Blues. Everybody in the league knew he was available, right? Good call. Yeah, and I mean, even if there's no injury, he's going to get in there from time to time. Army said he was surprised that there wasn't more interest. I know. I was I was surprised to hear Army say he yeah. was surprised. From the 636, take it or leave it, Brad Miller won't be the MVP bat of the weekend. I'm going to leave that. <laughs> How I, can you bet against him at this point? He's going to be the MVP bat of the league this weekend. Yeah, heading into the season, I picked my team MVP to be Paul DeYoung. Who did you pick? I, I picked Brad Miller. 
Yeah, okay, sure you did. You picked Brad Miller, I'm sure. I was going to say, how many people out there picked Brad Miller to be the Cardinals MVP? Yeah. Um, I think I picked Goldie. Which is a pretty good pick as well. Yeah, it's looking pretty good. Pretty good. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Take it or leave it. All five starters for the Cardinals will go at least five innings in each one of their outings. This is a superb question. Yeah, it's great. And I'm going to take it. Let's see. Even though I don't know who's going, you got Wayno and is it Wayno and Hudson tomorrow? Flaherty tonight, Wayno and Hudson tomorrow. Yes. And then Kim. Kim. And then Oviedo. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it too. It's going to be great. Five? Yeah, I'm definitely taking it. By the way, I have great memories of summer, a holiday, Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day weekend, and especially those particular days' games. I just, for whatever reason, especially when they're day games, I just, really have great memories of them. Do you have one specific great memory? I remember on a Labor Day, Chris Carpenter just dominating oh. the Brewers in Milwaukee. Nice. thing was, I think he he allowed one hit and the Cardinals lost the game. Oh, man. But he was just unbelievable. So, yeah, and then uh, the 4th of July, the Vince Coleman game in 1985, he stole a couple of bases, made a great defensive play. So Labor Day's been a good... There, there was one Labor Day weekend in Chicago, interestingly, 1989 Cardinals are in the hunt they're like a game and a half out and on Labor Day I believe or maybe it was the Sunday of Labor Day both McGee and Morrell got hurt and were out for the year oh and that kind of did it in for the Cardinals they might, probably would have won the division that year they both got hurt yeah oh and Pedro Guerrero was a monster in that series he was great from the 618 take it or leave it we'll stay with pitching here there will be a closer from either the Cardinals or the Cubs that will blow at least one save or blow it in the ninth inning or later in the series. At least once. Mm, I'll take it. Cubs are tough in the ninth inning. They're a pretty relentless group. I'll take it because I do think that it's going to come down to the wire. I do think these are going to be close games. I hope that they're close games. Yeah, me too. This one comes from the 636. Take it or leave it. The biggest surprise in baseball is the AL Central having the most 20-win teams. I, I, I gotta leave that. I, I think I would like to take it. I'm gonna stay in the AL Central though. It's the Detroit Tigers being 17 and 17. Yeah. That to me is more shocking than Cleveland to the White Sox and the Twins being good. Um. Also, Randy, take it or leave it. Scott sounds like he has a Baltimore accent. Yeah, I'll take that. Bummer. Bummer. By the you way, think you, so? yeah, the, I asked him where his yeah. parents were from because he sounds like he's from Baltimore. The way he says his O's. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, born and raised here in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, both both mom and dad. Mom went to Lafayette. Dad went to Parkway West. Huh. Okay. By the way, the AL East has three 20-win teams, too. Tor- Tampa, Toronto, and the Yankees all have 20 victories as well. Dang. So Toronto's kind of a surprise, too, at 20 and 16. Take it or leave it. The AL Central would be the division that you'd want to play in the AL this year. You'd play against? Yeah. Out of the central. I'm going to leave it. Seattle, Texas. I I didn't think Texas would be this bad, but you want to play against Seattle, Texas, and the Angels. They're all horrific. Yeah. It's not even close. They're they're bad. I thought the Angels would be so much better than they are. Yeah. It's really disappointing. Big time. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Our old buddy Matt Holiday is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
And here's Holiday fighting back tears in what could be his final plate appearance for the St. Louis Cardinals. Holiday out to deep right. Yes, yes, yes. He did it in what could be his final plate appearance in St. Louis. That opposite field home run. Unbelievable. Danny Mac had the call back in 2016 for that home run by Matt Holiday who joins Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker right now on 101 ESPN via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, Matthew. How you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? I'm sure glad that, uh, that didn't happen in 2020 in front of no fans. That would have been uh, not nearly as cool. Would you have been crying if, uh, if it would have happened for no fans? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I've yeah, that would have been awfully strange. It's hard to believe that's already been, you know, almost or four years, I guess. Uh, it, I guess time flies, but I don't think the emotions are, are, uh, are nearly the same, uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, the gratitude towards the fans. So, um, obviously, your teammates uh, are a huge part of your life, and, and that, that part would have meant a lot. Uh, but I just don't think that uh, moments in sports are nearly the same uh, without the fans. Matt, we certainly felt that on Sunday when Adam Wainwright goes out on his 39th birthday and gives the Cardinals a a complete game. It was one of those things where you look back and you think, what would the crowd have been like at Bush Stadium in that moment? But I want to focus on Wayno and Yachty here for a second. You have Wayno, who's obviously 39, Yachty or Molina, who's 38, and on that same day um, hit 2,000 games with the Cardinals. What do you think about those two guys being able to compete at this level at those ages, 38 and 39? Well, it's it's a tribute to their work ethic and and the the kind of the passion and the hard work that those two guys put into the game. Um, I, I think that they're obviously talented and they've they've been blessed with with amazing talent. But I think the the work ethic and their passion for the game and their passion for the Cardinals and um, I think all those things really allows them uh, to, to perform the way they're performing at the age they're doing it at. And so, uh, I'm not surprised having known those guys and spent tons of time with them and and know what kind of people they are, what kind of teammates they are, what kind of athletes they are. It's, it's no surprise, but at the same time, it doesn't make it any less admirable and exciting to see, you know, Adam do that, uh, and throw his first complete game. in I think, what was it? Three or four years. Um, and, and obviously Yachty to be able to catch the, the amount of games and the wear and tear that he's had over his career and, and to watch him go out there and play with high energy and, and wants to be in, catching double headers and, and doing things like that, it's, it's, you just go, man, I, I don't know how he does it. But then at the same time, you do because you know how much work he puts into it. Matt, I remember that day of the press conference when the Cardinals signed you to the long-term deal. And I I remember both Mr. DeWitt and Mo talking about your work ethic. And they knew that during the offseason that you were going to do everything you could to make sure that you were in the best condition possible. And you just just mentioned it about those guys. Goldie is the same way. You've played with other organizations. Do other organizations do that sort of research? Do they know that guys are going to work that hard uh, on a regular basis? You know, I, I don't know how much research each organization does, but to me, uh, that would be paramount in signing guys to a long, long contract, long-term deal. Uh, would be, you know, because I think that the motivation that you play the game for, 
uh, is huge when you talk about long-term contracts and, and trying to avoid uh, bad contracts and things like that because I just know, you know, if guys are, are motivated and they work extremely hard and, and it's not really about the contract and they really want to win and, um, you know, I, I think that they if they feel an obligation to the organization, to the fans, to to live up to those kind of numbers and to live up to those contracts and they'll do everything possible uh, to do that for their team and, and for the city, um, it usually turns out pretty well. I mean, obviously, sometimes injuries are out of your control and, and things can happen. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think probably most organizations now would probably tell you that they look into the, the player's work ethic and try to do as much uh, research as they can about the player before they invest uh, big dollars in them. Um, so uh, I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's all the same. I don't know that the Cardinals do a, a more uh, in-depth look. Um, It'd be hard for me to, 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 to kind of guess on that deal. I just have, don't know enough about um, organizations. But I do think that the, you know, the, the character side is important to the Cardinals when they look at signing players and, and giving them long-term deals uh, of knowing what kind of people they're getting and what kind of citizens in St. Louis they're getting and, and representative of the organization they're getting. And I know you would bring in guys during the offseason to try to impart some of those things that you're talking about, to kind of try to pay it forward to the younger players too, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that was something in Saint, in, uh, in Colorado early in my career. Uh, they had kind of a, a program where they, they brought young players to Colorado and, and put them up with host families. And um, we, uh, we would work out at Coors Field and kind of get used to the city. And uh, it, it, was very, it made it more comfortable when you did get called up to the major leagues that you had felt like you had been to the city, you had been to the ballpark, uh, you had been around some of the guys. And so – uh, I felt that it, for me, it was it was it was really important, and it, and it really helped me as a young player uh, feel like I was part of the team. I didn't have to figure out how to get to the park. I didn't have to figure out what you know, kind of getting in and around the city. I'd already been there and spent some time there, uh, so I thought, um, you know, I would I would try to do that a little bit. I talked to Mo about three or four guys that that he thought were on the verge of of, uh, of being Cardinals, and and invited them. Uh, St. Louis and, and kind of tried to give them a similar type of program for a week or two. I can't remember how long uh, we did it, but just kind of giving them a, a little bit of, a, of an insight on what a day-to-day looks like as, as a major league player and, and an off season and uh, what it takes maybe to, to, to kind of work ethic that it takes to, to continue to play in the major leagues and not just try to get there, but try to stay there. So uh, it was something that uh, I thought it might be beneficial to young players. It was it was fun. It's always good to get to be around younger guys and and kind of, you know, just kind of feel their energy and excitement of of trying to reach the major leagues. Sometimes that that uh, that helps older guys get through an off season. You know, sometimes when those days get a little tough and you, you know, you're uh, you know you're grinding. But um, I, I enjoyed those times, Randy. To, to be honest with you, it was those are those are the kind of things that uh, as a you know you get to be a veteran player. Those are the things that you really love to do. Matt, we had Tony La Russa on the show yesterday, and we were having a conversation with him about the expectations uh, for winning here in St. Louis and how they're different than they are in other clubs because of the generational success that they've had, all of the winning that they've had. And he said this, I pulled the quote, he said, when you get in that uniform, you feel the tradition and the obligation to carry it forward. He felt that as a manager. Did you feel that when you came here as a player? The first day, um, it was clear to me, uh, when I got to Philadelphia and I got in that clubhouse um, and I got around guys uh, like Albert and like Chris Carpenter and like Adam Wainwright and like Yachty Molina, and I'm probably leaving out a few, but 
there was this uh, different feel, this this competitive environment uh, with Tony and uh, the staff. Um, I think it is. It's very measurable. I, I think that that is something that's real. I think when you put on a uniform that has that kind of history, um, that you feel like a sense of, and I and I know people like to to kind of laugh at the cardinal way or, or you know question. And but I I think there was a, an expectation of of playing the game hard, playing the game right. You know when you when you talk about Chris Carpenter's setting, I remember vividly. Uh, sitting right there in the dugout the entire game, uh, cheering every pitch, cheering for his teammates, uh, getting on guys who weren't cheering for their teammates, and and just kind of watching him kind of pollute with making sure the pitchers were watching each other's bullpens to making sure that guys weren't running back up into the clubhouse just kind of hanging out, that everybody was in the dugout rooting for each other and, and kind of setting the tone and, and creating an environment um, that that I hadn't really seen, and so as as I got to be a, a cardinal and, and spend my uh, you know seven plus years in St. Louis, um, you see kind of that culture and, and how that culture was created and and what that looks like and being around Red and and a lot of the old old cardinals that come back and and help pass along pass the torch. Um, it was really cool, and I think that that's very something you don't see much, and, and even in pro sports in, in general. Uh, there is a feeling of an expectation of being in a, in a tremendous organization that has a history of success and a history of, of doing things right and, and being a good citizen and contributing to your community and uh, all those things. I just feel like it, it is a really uh, uh, unique environment, uh, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm forever grateful to be part of. I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for us to ask you about Nolan Arenado. Then we know that he wants to win. He's made that very clear. He's got an opt-out after next year. And if the playoffs started today, the Rockies are in. So from his standpoint, how important do you think this month is? How important do you think making the postseason this year is in regards to Nolan Arenado's future in Colorado? Well, maybe not just making it. You know, I I think that everyone knows that obviously with the expanded playoff uh, you, you could be in and out in two games. Uh, so um, I, I don't know that, that even if they, you know, kind of get in uh, squeeze in and get, and maybe lose the first two games, if that changes his stance on, on how he feels about the future of, of potentially winning a championship in, in Colorado and whether or not that'll, that'll, you know, kind of change his whole uh, thought process on, on what he wants to do moving forward. Um, I haven't, I haven't talked to him about it recently, but I do know that as he goes forward in the prime of his career, and I think that he's one of those guys that understands that you, you're not kind of in your prime and you don't get to play forever, and he wants to win a championship, and, and if not one, more than one. Um, so I, I definitely think that it, it's, a, it's, it's a struggle uh, for a competitor like him um, when when you're, you're losing games and, and you're kind of, again, as you said, they're in the playoffs as it stands now, and and shoot, they might get hot again and, and, and get in and, and play well, and, and maybe this does change his whole um, thoughts on, on what's next for his career. But I do know this. I'll tell you, he, he wants to be in a winning environment. He wants to win. Uh, he, he loves the idea of, of being in the playoffs every year in an organization that's doing everything they can to win every single offseason. And, and I think that that's been something he's questioned in Colorado. I don't think that he's, he's got the commitment – uh, that that he feels like that that he was promised. So uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, I think you know after every season, guys kind of look in the mirror and and, and think about what's next.
Great stuff. Hey, Matt, before we let you go, we know that you keep an eye on the Cardinals, and they have a, a very highly touted young outfielder in Dylan Carlson who's played 21 games and is hitting 176. I, I just looked you up. You were hitting 356 with a 974 OPS after your first 21 games, so you didn't have to deal with that early adversity, but you had to deal with adversity during your career like every no baseball player does. So uh, as, as a veteran player, how do you try to ease the, the anxiety of a, a young guy like Dylan Carlson? Well, I think, you know, I think the organization has done a good job of telling him he's going to play. You know, I think that as, an, as a young player, when you get called up and you struggle, you go, oh, man, I don't want to get sent back down. And I know that sent back down, you know, looks different right now, you know, as far as what 2020 and what that means about going, I guess, to Springfield and continuing to just work out or however this is going down this year. But I think as a young player, that's your thing is like, man, I need to get some hits so that I can stick around. I want to be here and I don't want to be there. And um, I, I think the, the assurance that I got as a young player from the manager and, and then the front office in Colorado was, was to just, hey, go out and play. Um, and, and I think that's comforting. And I, I think it's, it's from what I understand that that's what the Cardinals have, have told Dylan. Um, and I think you just start – it's one of those deals where as, as an athlete you start, you start chasing the hits. And, and when it's hard and you see the numbers and uh, you start chasing the results, and, and you might get away from the process. And, and going back to trying to – I'd try to tell him, hey, let's get back to the process of, of your routine and, and hitting the ball hard, and, and let's, let's simplify things, and the results will come on the other side. But if you start chasing the results and, and you don't get them and you start tinkering with your swing and you start messing with your mechanics, and uh, you can get down – you can get away from who you are pretty fast. And, and I think that – uh, you know that as a veteran player, you say, "Hey, man, let's let's uh, let's get back to the process." And and uh, you know, I think he's gotten three days off. If, if I'm correct, he got the last two days off, and then yesterday we're off as a team. Uh, so kind of reset button and and kind of go into into Wrigley Field uh, tonight and hopefully get get hot. And you know, it looks like he's got great skills and and uh, is is a, is a bright future as a, as a Cardinal kind of middle of the order type of player. So. Uh, I know that they need somebody to, to kind of step up, and, and uh, especially with Dexter out, that uh, it'd be nice if he could get hot and, and get some confidence going and, and kind of be the guy who, who they uh, they expect. Matthew, one week from today, I'm going to see Scott Adamack and Todd Wise and Sarah Newton, all the Cardinal Glennon uh, homers for health people. And uh, my, my favorite story about Matt Holiday is not a home run. It's not a base hit. My favorite Matt Holiday story is taking your 400th home run baseball to a kid at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I miss uh, a lot of, of those, uh, you know, Cardinal Glennon being able to just pop in and, and a lot of the people that, that help that make that program go. Um, special place in our family's heart. Uh, a lot of great relationships, still do. Uh, still talk to a lot of the, the families and the kids that, that we got a chance to get to know through that program. And still hoping that, you know, as, as, as kind of weird as this is with the lack of homers and the lack of games, uh, we can keep that program going really strong because I've seen uh, with my own eyes the impact that it's had on families and kids and uh, just continue to kind of push it forward and um, move it forward and, and keep the eyes focused on, on uh, you know, the Cardinals fans and the opportunity to help kids and families in, in very difficult times. So, um, it's like I said, it's, uh, it's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we still are, are interacting with it, and, and uh, you know, we we were kind of – hoping to have the the dinner the holidays heroes dinner that we have every year and and we'll have to postpone that to next year but uh still 
uh, from afar, uh, you know, continuing to hope for, for great success for the program. Matt, thanks so much for the time. Great to hear your voice. We appreciate it. Enjoy this long weekend, and uh, tell the family we said hi. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Matthew. Matt Holliday, former Cardinal, one of the all-time greats on 101 ESPN. And by the way, homersforhealth.org if you want to contribute to a wonderful charity started by Matt Holliday. Great organization. Amazing. Next up, the man who had that great call, Dan McLaughlin, will join us. He had uh, Matt Holliday's last Cardinal home run, and he's got scoops with Danny Mack coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin has been the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest for more than two decades now. So a lot of players have come and gone. And I know that asking you to pick a favorite player personally among because you become friends when you spend as much time with you as you do with players. I know that's difficult. It's like picking your favorite kid. But Matt Holiday has to be right there at the top of the list. Oh, yeah. He's one of them for sure. Yeah. What a you great guys guy. just had him on, huh? Yeah. Just he's, a great guy. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I don't think fans saw him for what he's really like. And now that he's out of the game, I, I'm sure in your interview you could hear a different guy than maybe the one that you felt that you thought you knew when you watched him play because he was very stoic, um, very serious. You know, uh, didn't you didn't see a guy slamming his bat. You didn't see you just saw a very stoic player. You know, very mm-hmm. even keel player and a guy that put up big numbers and was a. A terrific player. I mean, uh, uh, might be a, a Cardinal Hall of Famer before it's all said and done. So, yeah. But if you knew him behind the scenes, he was he was funny. He was gregarious. He was a prankster, um, and it was just a likable guy. I mean, just a wonderful person too in the community. I mean, he did a lot in this community that people don't yeah. know about. Now, some of it was that you did know about, like Homers for Health and the various things he did at Cardinal Glennon, but he also did a ton behind the scenes that no one knew about, too. And we had him on for 13, 14 minutes. The biggest takeaway I have is a question. What numbers are on auto going to wear with the Cardinals? <laughs> what did he say? He said, even if they make the playoffs, I don't. to paraphrase, I don't know if that's going to answer all the questions that he has about that organization. What do you mean that the, the, the Arenado has? Because he he said he was like we've heard mm-hmm. before. He was made promises there that haven't been lived up to. Really, he yeah. said that, huh? Uh, yeah, I I think the Cardinals' biggest need right now, just talking about switching gears, is is who's right now. The Cardinals have to figure out the outfield. Yep, they got to figure out somebody from that young group of and core of those outfielders has got to step up and hit somebody. Somebody's got to hit. Yeah, this is a good opportunity, too, right now. Well, they're going to have to get it uh, because they're going to have to play. I mean, they've, they've mm-hmm. got Carlson, they've got O'Neill, they've got Lane Thomas, they've got Bader. So someone's going to have to play. Give and- me a guy. Give me a guy that mm-hmm. if, if somebody's going to break out that you think, at least from broadcasting the games over the course of Nostra the last Daniel. month. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. So Nostra who, Daniel. Who's our guy to break out against Dylan. the Cubs? Dylan Carlson. I think the three-day break was good for him. I thought that he wouldn't play the other night. Um, it made it would have made sense to pinch hit for uh, one of those guys in that spot uh, with Dylan Carlson. But I understand what Mike was doing. Mike was giving him a full three day reset, and and that's that's the guy. I, I think he's he, out of the, the 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 group. I think he's the guy. And I love. And I want to know what you two guys think about this because I think this was a Tony Larusa move. You want to find out what a guy can no do question. when the pressure is on. Jimmy and I talked about it off the air, um, 
and I, I thought we broke it down properly. In that spot, he's saying, okay, I'm going to bunt with Molina here, even though Molina was hitting, I think, 451 with runners in scoring position. So if I let him swing, it's the potential of the double play. Now, if I bunt, he's one of the only guys maybe right now in baseball that can bunt. No one bunts, and if they do try to bunt, they can't. So he's one of the guys that can. Now I'm going to find, because they're not going to pitch to Carpenter, even though he's going poorly, I'm going to find out about my guys. Even though it's a limited time, very limited time to to win games, I'm finding out about Tyler O'Neill. I'm finding out about Lane Thomas. And that's what he did. You know, mm-hmm. I to your point, I, that's what he did. And um, just those guys, you know, right now I think Tyler O'Neill is is in a rut. I mean, he's yeah. in a bad rut. But you, you're still trying to figure out about Lane Thomas. He has not had the full run of the other of the other guys. Also, <clears throat> I I'm I feel badly for Bader because I think Bader was was close. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, Before the Mike, yeah, and he might be a guy that can give you a little run too. So we'll see. We need a Wrigley Field massacre again, right? Dan? We do. This is a. Uh, I was thinking about this. You know the team that is it's going to be very tough to come back in this thing is Cincinnati. Cincinnati needs to have like an 8 out of 10 wins, yeah. 9 out of 10. Milwaukee, we still have 10 games with Milwaukee, so they they can at least hold their hat with that one. But the the, the Reds are going to need to have the Cardinals really go south or Milwaukee really go south. But the problem is for them is that the Cardinals and Milwaukee play each other. Now the the Cubs started out thirteen and three. They have not been playing the same type of baseball that they started, but it's going to be very tough for the Reds to get back in this thing. Michelle, back in the day when uh, Dick Vermeil first became the Rams coach, I would travel with the club and cover their road games, and Dan was handling things in studio. And every Sunday, as they traversed an eight game losing streak, I believe in nineteen ninety eight, and they went four and twelve, it was. Randy Carricker joins us from Green Bay. Let's just throw out a city. Randy wasn't pretty today, was it? Was it? Every, <laughs> every week. Every it, was, time. It, was, it wasn't pretty today, was it? And we'd have Joel Bushbaum on. And Joel. Oh, the, the, and the needle on the, on the, the board would just. Burr, you know. <laughs> Not good. No. But DV was as good as it got. Oh, yeah. He, he, we he, had him on this morning, too. Wasn't pretty, was it, Randy? No. And you would give your answers and. We'd move on, I'd, and and I would just take my cue from DV. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. Tony Banks might have looked bad, but he's playing at a playoff profile. <laughs> <laughs> profile. I remember covering those games at the Dome, and Tony Banks, even me, and just very limited, you know, just just as a guy watching. I remember. I think I looked at you one time, and I said, "He doesn't even look at anybody else except Isaac Bruce." Right. Remember that? Yep. I mean, I can't remember what game we were we were doing, and he would he wouldn't even check down to anybody, no. nobody. I mean, the the ball was going to Isaac Bruce every single time, right? Every time, yeah. And he had Ricky Prohl on the team, yes, but he, he didn't he, even look at him. No, you're right. And it, it was kind of like when Demarco was. On I, the I said to you one time, I said, "Is he going to look at anybody else?" No, he wasn't. No, and that was nobody. That's why. He, and by the way, their offensive coordinator at the time, Jack Riley, when they took him, said, oh, this guy's going to be the next Troy Aikman. And by the way, they said that about Bradford, too. But (laughs) he didn't have the ability to look at a defense. That was one of the things about Kurt. Right when Trent Green got hurt, the very first time Kurt dropped back to throw, he made a decision and threw the ball. Yeah, And he, he was able. 
survey the field, and yeah. very few guys can do that. And Tony, he could survey one guy. That was it. Yeah, and he just he would look at him, and that was it. Good guy though. He oh, grew up and became a better. Had a he's a dog lover. He had dog felony. lover. Yeah, felony was a beautiful animal. Yeah. It was a beautiful really relationship want- that they had at Macomb. Remember, he brought in Macomb. <laughs> he brought that him was, to Macomb. That yep. was beautiful. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I've probably, and we've been so lucky here because we've had so many great coaches and managers over the years. But I've learned. I did hear your interview with Mike Schild. I enjoyed yeah, that. He, he's great. I think I learned as much about being a leader from Dick Vermeil as I have from anybody else. And I think people like Tony, like Whitey, like Joe Torrey, like Dick Vermeil, like Joel Quenville. Like Mike Schilt, they manage people, and whether it's a radio station or a bank or a car dealership or an insurance agency, those guys would be able to lead and manage whatever mm-hmm. they're put in the middle of. Well, I, I've talked to Mike about it. He really learned just – he's had long conversations with Tony, and then those guys, they all just kind of talk to each other. Um, you know. And then I know that he goes in the offseason and goes and talks to college coaches about what they're doing and trying to learn how – this is fascinating stuff. I mean, we can go in long conversations about this, but he's trying to learn how the game is being played at the college level so that he can figure out how the fundamentals are being taught to these young kids and what's not being taught so that when they get into the pro game that they can try to figure out, okay, fundamentally these guys don't know how to hit behind uh, uh, with a runner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Are you teaching these kids to move a runner over? Because everything is launch angle, exit velocity, so that they get signed. They're, they're not being taught the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if you watch the pro game right now, how many times do you see a guy give themselves up? You never do. Never. I mean, but it, it's to no fault of their own. They don't know. They're not taught. You but, know what I mean? Little things like that. What a smart move on the part of Schilt. And, and by the way, to get to know those coaches, because look how many college coaches are getting hired by Major League Baseball right to the majors right, right. now. Well, uh, you look at pitching coaches. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're taught they're they're teaching these guys now analytics in the college game and they're the ones that relate to the players that are being that are, are part of the rotations now. What it's do we have coming it. up on scoops? Uh, talk about uh, the Cubs series. Lynn Casper, the voice of the Cubs, will Love be um, our guest, and so we'll get into the upcoming series and really a gauntlet of uh, the schedule for the Cardinals coming up, too. And next week, I'm taking the week off, a little staycation. Mm -hmm. I'm not traveling anywhere, but Danny is going to be in for me, so it'll be uh, Dan and Michelle. Well, Randy, I hope you don't get Wally pipped. (laughs) I hope not either. Who was it? Michelle, bring your A-game. We're going to Wally pip. uh, All right, let's do it. Randy. Was I texting Wally pip with you the other night? Yes, you were. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was it. So what are you going to do? A lot of barbecue or what? I am going to play some golf. I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to do some barbecue. Yeah, I'm just going to be uh, kind of a... Let's make sure that people know if they hear that you're zipping up the... uh, headphones. Yeah, the headphones. Important. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing else. I'm getting ready to get off the air here. Yeah. Go on vacation. Yeah. (laughs) That's awful. Uh, Great job by our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Hey, enjoy the week off, Randy. Thank you, sir. Michelle, always great to see you. We'll see you in a week. Yeah, Randy, enjoy your time off. Yeah, and enjoy, enjoy your uh, Labor Day weekend, everybody. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Have a great time. You too, buddy. Uh, for all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and uh, being a part of the show. And uh, for these guys, until Tuesday morning, for me, until whatever, uh, have, a, have, have a great weekend and week, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN.